Hello and welcome to this action-packed edition of Trailer Trauma. My name is Nathaniel Thompson from Mondo Digital. I'm here with Howard S. Berger from DestructibleMan.com. And right off the bat, here we are with a doubleheader of Warren Oates in two of his rare leading man roles. And of course, this is the retitled version of Cockfighter, the Monty Hellman film. Howard, what do you think? <laughs> uh, this is a cute movie. It's weird. <laughs> it, it's advertised since day one as something kind of scary and, you know, uh, real oaky, hard, you know, crime thriller and when it's under the cockfighter title it's even worse because no one wants to see what cockfights are you know but it's actually kind of a sweet turns into like a sweet almost rom-com in a way it's mm -hmm. it's a kind of a, kind of extremely deceptive but it's a you know it's a, a wonderful little movie it is and along with Supercock, it's the greatest film ever made about cockfighting which means it also will probably never get released uncut in the uk a New World Picture. Not the last time you'll be seeing that name, <laughs> nor will we be hearing a mention of Roger Corman for the last time either. Corman's going to be all over this puppy. Now, here we're about to launch into some more Warren Oates with Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, a film that was once despised by just about everybody, but is now regarded as a Stone Cold classic <laughs> from Sam Peckinpah. Uh, I think it's a flat-out masterpiece. What say you? Yeah, uh, the, my introduction to this was perfect. It was, uh, I, I, on, uh, well, I mean, I had seen it in the theater, but uh, when it was on HBO, uh, that's what I'm referring to. The TV premiere was great. It was um, supposed to be going places that, uh, at the last second. Uh, um, HBO was getting a lot of heat from like local call-ins about how, how terrible it was but pornographic so that they replaced it with this movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how my family saw it. I saw it at my local mall in 1974 <laughs> so it did play. And these are both from 1974 by the way so uh, hell, well, of course Born to Kill was reissued later under, under that title but uh, that was quite a year for cinema. We uh, <laughs> probably took it for granted at the time but not so much anymore. I love Vizella Vega. Oh yeah. She's great. She's a big, you know, sort of Mexican uh, sort of singer, uh, filmmaker, director. She did everything also. She, she's really smart. She's great, great performance. This really sweet movie. Yeah. Uh, again, if you're expecting an action film, you'll get some of it, but it's, it's more of a, you know, a, a think piece. It's a character piece, and that's actually a very emotional one. So, you know, whatever, you know, Peckinpah, whatever action, when he was once considered an action director, I really, I think if you look at his films today, I think people almost, you know, are, are, are begging for the action, and, mm -hmm. and, and I think he uses it very uh, uh, appropriately. And this is probably his most ghoulish film, I think. I mean, it's it's almost, yeah. it's bordered on like a horror film at times. It's yeah. really, really macabre. Uh, also, a really fine score by Jerry Fielding, who we'll talk about more in the film that's coming up in just a second. But he was Sam Peckinpah's go-to composer, and this is a really nice one. Some of his great Mexican flavor that he worked into his music. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't get him into the theater, I don't know what will. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, here, of course, we have some more Peckinpah coming up with The Getaway from 1972, which, of course, was later remade with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. But this is the original that's about to kick in here with... Uh, the dream team of McQueen and McGraw. And uh, this one actually did have a Jerry Fueling score at one point, but wound up getting tossed out because they wanted something more commercial and poppy. And so they went with Quincy Jones instead. But you can hear both scores now on CD, thank God. So, But this was a huge hit for Pack and Pod. Do you remember uh, when this first came out? Oh, yeah. It, again, the same theater, my local mall theater. Uh, and it was one of those where I, I wasn't quite geared up to seeing it. I didn't really know that I should be seeing it. But it went. Th there was a period of time in 72 where, of course, I was like in second grade 
grade, and there was really nothing that I hadn't seen. So I then grabbed a friend, and just we just went and were dropped off. And uh, talk about ghoulish. This was pretty ghoulish too, because uh, you know this character, this actor here, uh, Jack Dobson, I think, right? Mm -hmm. I think he was from Mayberry RFD. <laughs> and uh, spoilers ahead, you, you, he hangs himself in this movie. He gets humili he's so humiliated, and he hangs himself by Alateri. It's really kind of shocking that you know Peck and Poe was kind of in on that. Let me use uh, comic actors and and screw up their uh, their their persona. Uh, it, it was uh, it's an, an an oddball movie, but really good. And um, I think in its own way, equally as good to the Jim Thompson book it was taken from. Very yeah. different, but I think uh, as a Peckinpah film, it's it's amazing. And as a McQueen performance, it is stunning. Yeah, and it's a good gateway film. If you haven't seen many Peckinpahs, this is a nice one to start with. It kind of yeah. it's a good way to like dip your toes in like at the shallow end of the pool and kind of get the flavor down. Yeah. Um, of course, the Wild Bunch is the biggie, but uh, yeah, this is a nice kind of. If you want to see him at his most studio-ish and commercial, but not selling out, I think this is a good good way to start. Yeah. And a really hard-boiled, fucked-up character. Yeah, that too. <laughs> he is very. And you can't tell from the trailer, but of course, this was actually shot really nicely in scope originally. <laughs> um, as was the case back then, they would all usually strike the trailers flat, and so they actually wound up being kind of awkwardly cropped, like what you're seeing right now. Uh, the tra you know that because they would normally would uh, show all the trailers at 185 no matter what instead of letting the projectionist like screw around with it they would either squeeze them or crop them like what you're seeing right now uh, so the film is actually much more pleasant to look at than uh, you're seeing right here compositionally speaking yeah this was their I mean I guess they were having their affair mm -hmm. at this point where yeah. uh, Robert Evans was uh, <laughs> yeah. I love this scene. Uh, Robert Evans is, I guess, blind to it. I suppose. <laughs> I don't know how you could. Uh, would you trust your daughter with Steve? I know, McQueen? Would you stick? Your, yeah. Would you stick your significant other in a movie with Steve oh, McQueen? Sorry, <laughs> like, really? but uh, but they they definitely had magnetism, and it made up for the fact that she was sort of a monotone as an actress, and I think she was just used really properly. She she did a, a, a very good job, probably because she was uh, feeling some sort of a sincere, you know, title pull. Yeah. Uh, I know she ever since Love Story, she which was a big breakthrough, but she kind of got a lot of flack from the critics for being kind of one note or very stone faced. Mm -hmm. But I, I, she was somebody growing up on cable. I always kind of had a smile when I saw Anna up in a movie, even though her her leading lady status, oh, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> God, another sitcom performer at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's all in the family. All the family and, yeah, and very, <laughs> really horrifying uh, uh, scenario her character, yeah. you know, goes through. <laughs> God. Of course, this was back when the, the, during the golden age of car chases, which you're going to be seeing a lot more of. But this was back when you, they really smashed up a lot of real cars on camera. That was like a big part of the budget, which those days are long gone, unfortunately, unless it's a bad boys movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's a wonderful film. And it is a really beautifully edited movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. But why do you think this was such, was it because of the star power of the leads? Was that why it was such a big hit at the time? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because she just came off of like you said, love story. Good yeah. God! And he's everything he was in at that point was a fairly sizable hit. I mean, he was still living off of the the, the re-releases of Bullet. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, his the other films around the time that he did were great, but they were no like the Reavers. These weren't like tremendous box office hits. Yeah. Um, you know, they they gave him some acclaim because his performances were always pretty appropriate and really good, but. Uh, no, they were they were a shining couple at this moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, between Great Escape and Thomas Crown and Bullet, you know, that'll, that's enough to coast by for the rest of your life, which you pretty much and did. And Peckinpah's just coming off of Straw Dogs, too. Right. So. And now we're something completely different. Here is Bloody Friday. An uh, understatement which, of a yeah. title. <laughs> and this is the police. Come on, Helen. The 
area and surround it. <laughs> Which is a fantastic, Friday. great little movie here. A wonderful, uh, kind of a cash-in on the real-life turmoil that was erupting all over Europe at the time. There was a lot of terrorism, right-wing and left-wing, just popping up all over the place. Lots of robberies and kidnappings, which uh, is obviously the imagery they're using here. But this is a very cool robbery film, which we actually, it was not well-known until the uh, Blu-ray came out that it had actually been substantially cut until they right. found a lot of footage that had been trimmed out. And the, the full cut is available now on European Blu-ray, so I would highly recommend picking it up because it's even better. I always loved it anyway, but now that we've got the full-strength version out there, it's really great and just a brutal br I mean good god look at that extremely <laughs> brutal movie I mean not even brutal as much as explosively bloody and gory and violent and it is really what people would be like panting for but they should I watch this should I not it's called Bloody, bloody Friday but I give it <laughs> give a chance because you're going to get a freaking bloody Friday now Rolf Olson's one of my favorites I'll just say real quick because he did in the mid 60s a series of some of the greatest movies that generated posters with Kurt Jurgen's image on it. <laughs> About three or four of these. So good. So he's a great director. The movies are, are, are fantastic. But just to see the Jurgen's head mm -hmm. uh, throughout the 60s, I have to thank this this guy. Um, but his films are wonderful. They're, they're all really, even when they're not violent, they're, they're really ripe in your face funny with the comedies are funny mm -hmm. the you know this actually has some oddball black humor in it oh, too yeah. but yeah, sure. but um but he's a good director and there's not a minute wasted you know uh, but I, I think people are you're not going to expect something especially from 72 um <laughs> of this caliber of yeah. violence it is just nutty yeah if you want to see how to cut an action trailer this is such a good example there's like stuff flying at you in like almost every single shot it's so good it's too bad kurt Jurgens wasn't in it yeah that's, too bad but you get some really great shots of like Munich and some of the surrounding area back at you know back in the seventies. This was um, yeah, it's so good. Really, really good. Uh, 1972 also, but that is in the getaway. So there's the tie-in there. All right, Howard, this one's all yours. <laughs> okay. Um, Check out the Charlie Varick Blu-ray. Howard's this, on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just recently cut a, a video essay for this thing, and I, I can't speak highly enough. I will. I'm flat out confirmed in my own head that this is Don Siegel's masterpiece for a number of reasons. Uh, his visual style is absolutely forefronted in this, and if, if I defy anyone after seeing this movie to just say he was a, a competent director of thrillers or you know no this guy was uh, against his own you know uh, personality uh, he'll argue at auteur all the way and this thing is just a, a, a ghoulish ghoulish pg rated movie one of the most brutal ghoulish in fact it got such horrible reviews in it when it came out mainly because of the fact that it was just simply rated pg for all the violence that it had inside it and and the the, the cruelty and the the hideous characters where um there's really not a let up even the main character is so morally questionable um it's just the levels of 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 what you're dealing with that you have to make a decision whether you're going to go with someone or not and boy oh boy it's a tough one plus Plus, there is tons of, like there was in, in Dirty Harry and, you know, Two Meals for Sister Sarah before it, tons of religious iconography. This is a very strangely um, uh, imbued film uh, with subtext. And anyone who says that it is not true, you are an ostrich burying your head in cinema's sand, my friend. This is one of the most uh, artful, um, unpretentious thrillers that you get. Siegel was just a wonderful 
wonderfully unpretentious director who had a lot of great pretensions that he wanted to, to tackle. And um, this is his masterpiece, flat out. And also, uh, Mathau, who kind of didn't like it at all at the time, he ref even refused to do junk, you know, the, the junket work for it. Ooh. He was just, uh, yeah, he was just not, he just didn't know what the hell this was. And he was in, entering a, a period of films with Taking of the Pelham 123, this one, and then the um, Laughing Policeman, where they're very serious, grim, violent um, films. And, and Varick is, is right at the, the peak. Great, great group of people making this one. Absolutely. Uh, now here we have one of those great Reese's Peanut Butter Cup movies where you want it with two tastes that shouldn't go together, but they do. This is uh, Blaxploitation meets Poliziotesco. <laughs> this is so good. This one's great. This is another classic. Like I'm in third grade and like nothing to see. And I, I, I think I was alone for this one My where we lived. It wasn't so weird to drop your kid off alone at a movie theater in, in the early 70s. We were like rural Long Island. But this one was unexpected. It was just the only thing that I had in scene that was playing at that moment so uh, mom just dropped me off no one wanted to see it with me they were all busy and uh, it was a shocker how entertaining it was there's like a laugh a minute in this mm -hmm. too it's very funny yeah. but it's also uh duke otisserie who is a, just a fantastic um uh italian director um unfortunately not not with us he, he passed away pretty young but um but this is a, a great movie isaac hayes is fantastic yeah and the role venture is great i think he was i think he was hoping for or his agent anyway was hoping for a bigger breakthrough even though this did really really well it didn't do really really well because ventura was in it so uh, you know his career in in you know english language productions was yeah not as really not what it could have been or should have been. Yeah. Um, I think even now people don't even know, you know, unless you've been watching, you know, European films like Jacques Deray films or, uh, you know, George Lautner films all your life, you're, you're really not, not going to know who the hell Lino Ventura is, unfortunately. But um, for the export of this, that it, it certainly helped. Uh, but this is a fantastic, funny, and honestly, I mean, I, I think there is a I th is this the one where there is an R-rated version of this somewhere mm -hmm. floating around? Mm -hmm. uh, that, I, I don't think it ever surfaced in the theater, though. But it might have been a Europe, in the European releases. I'm not sure. But, um, but awesome it is a soundtrack, by the way, too. Great soundtrack. Uh, and uh, just fantastic direction. But it's also not as, uh, not as brutal as you would expect it to be. Uh, yeah. So it's... Uh, and it's not quite as... The trailer makes it look way more like relentlessly action-packed than it actually it, is. It's really not. Yeah. It's a character piece. And it's, it's, it's a, a buddy movie. But it's, but it's, and it's fun and funny. It's, it's a, a lightweight thing. Yeah. But it is, uh, it is great. And yeah, the, the theme song will just stick in your head for days. So be, be careful for if you days. pop the album on. <laughs> it's generous. <laughs> And continuing with the theme of three, and also of movies from 1974, this is Three the Hard Way, which this is a much more traditional black exploitation film, yeah. of course. Uh, Fred Williamson, Papi who I think was, it was contractually had to do at least, what, two movies a year at the time? Yeah, exactly. And Jim Kelly. Uh, Jim Kelly, of course, really writing the success of Into the Dragon, uh, yeah. still sporting that magnificent afro. <laughs> yeah, no, this is another, another great, funny, 
off the wall, strange, like almost, you know, I don't know what you call this kind of like a fantasy, like a white supremacist, you know, mm-hmm. evil white supremacist fantasy. Um, the, what I love about this one is not for any of the leads, but it is, can you guess who I love, the, who I love in this movie? Do tell. Jay Robinson. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Shrinker, motherfuckers. <laughs> he is so awesome in this movie. There he is. This guy had the worst fucking life you could possibly imagine. <laughs> he screwed up. He became a drug addict before this movie in the 50s. He was a, he was a, a real smash character actor in, like, you know, biblical epics. Big ones. And he was hooked on methadone and just blew his career, became, like, this arrogant jerk-off they hate it so that was the end of that career and I think it was later on when people like Betty Davis uh, you know started getting behind him and, and really rallying him to start you know being accepted again and, uh, and he is fantastic in this movie I mean you will never forget, you, you'll forget every other person in this film but Jay Robinson is the man he mm-hmm. is just such an evil disgusting creep in this thing um, and this is fun as you can see you know the violence is totally PG you know styled 1970. Mm-hmm. Three PG style, but it was still, you know, uh, not blood exploding in your face, you know. Right. Um, but uh, there's there, it's a, a, a really wonderful film, and I, I don't understand why these movies really weren't or aren't being, uh, you know, sent out as Blu-rays, you know, just being passed out on street corners because yeah. these are this is so the entertainment value in these things are jam packed, yeah. uh, and this movie in particular is, you know, um, really you know. There's the PG burn. You know, so you'll have someone burning to death, but it's like a a, a 72 inch wide asbestos suit burning to death. So you right. don't quite believe it, but it's a <laughs> it's a, a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's remarkable how many of these movies are so hard to find nowadays. I mean, they played super widely, and they were on TV and on VHS. And then it's yeah, you really have to like hunt kind of hard to dig these up now. It's it's too bad. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm telling you, we, we didn't even think it was like we saw an ad in the paper. What was it playing in the afternoon? at a local theater. That's mm-hmm. as far as it was. It wasn't like we were waiting for these movies to come out. They'd be out. What was playing? Uh, you know, Gordon Parks. You're, you're seven years old. <laughs> what, what can you drop me off to see, Mom? Who else is... I, I would go call down the, the <laughs> snow list of my you know, elementary school, see who else was around who wanted to see it. If there was someone else, we'd go. If not, I was dropped off. Now, here we're going to get a little dose of some Sidney J. Fury here. This is Hit. Yeah. Which is um, really quite an amazing film. And again, unfortunately, you're not getting the full Sidney Fury aspect ratio. Yeah, again, no, there's another scope one. Yeah, it got knocked down here. That, this is from 1973, by the way. That's a year earlier from the one we just saw there, so we're jumping back a bit with the next yeah, few he, Fury did the, the Ipcrest file <laughs> and um, uh, the entity later on, mm-hmm. but he um, most, I mean, really, uh, this was an unexpected thing. Obviously, he did it because French Connection was huge, uh, still huge, a year and a half or two, you know, after uh, its own success mm-hmm. in 71. And 
uh, he just, you know, had just come off a, a big hit with a, th- a questionable biopic, entertaining <laughs> movie, but as a biography, one of the worst was uh, Lady Sings the Blues. Yeah. So it's an incredibly entertaining film that has absolutely no bearing in, in history whatsoever in reality. And uh, so he was big. He had great pull with uh, actors like Billy D. Williams, who was, you know, a megastar almost immediately, you know, mm-hmm. because of Lady Sings the Blues. Right. Um, Gwen Wells, who had done it, has done everything, died very, very young. She was in all Robert Altman movies and Roger Vadim films. It's a fantastic pedigree. Uh, Paul Hampton from uh, the Cronenberg's world. Mm-hmm. I mean, this he is Sid Melton. Very oddball casting, oddball drama, um, but it is an exciting, if you know, long, it's like almost looks like two hours and 20, I mm-hmm. say, so two hours and 50. So it, it's an unusual, it really had more of a serious uh, pretension to it. Um, and of course, Sidney Fury's astonishing visual style is just impeccable, uh, as he always was. Um, another, you've got to seek out widescreen versions of all his films, like The Naked Runner, yeah. or, I mean, it's, 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 or The Appaloosa. You really want to blow your mind with those, his 1960s things, but, but or, this was... Uh, or the later ones, Taking Beverly Hills, even, is like really wide scope. Yeah, the film that, I think it followed this, I think that was, it went from this, was uh, Sheila Levine is uh, oh, okay. uh, Dead and Living, living in, New York. in New York, with Roy Scheider, and Jenny Berlin, another uh, amazing widescreen film. I mean, they were they were the reasons to go see it in theaters. You know, it was really extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and Gwen Wells always got she always plucked my heartstrings. In Nashville, she really uh, oh yeah. And and California Split, she really uh, she really is, makes you very compassionate to her. There's something about her, kind of a tragic thing. And, and I, sadly, ironically, sadly, she passed away very young. Yeah. Note the subliminal plug for Paramount's The Godfather there for just a second on screen. Nice little bit of cross promotion yeah. there. <laughs> Lalo Schifrin. Yeah. And now the exact same film only done by <laughs> Bruce Kessler. Um, this is Gordon's War from 1973. And a great movie. It's sort of like a cross between Hit and maybe a little bit of RoboCop in there. <laughs> um, it's it's a, a grit. This is really, oh, it's Ossie Davis did this, I think. But didn't Bruce Kessler direct mm-hmm. like a lot of the action scenes mm-hmm. or some of the footage? I didn't want to get that incorrect, I think. Uh, so it's kind of a combination of both of them. And Ossie Davis was a um, fantastic actor in the 60s, black actor, really uh, sort of an activist, um, necessarily so at that time. And he, um, he directed a big hit with... Um, um, Cotton Comes to Harlem mm-hmm. in 1970, this sort of serio-comic um, uh, action um, suspense mystery um, based on a series of Chester Himes novels. And he was uh, really acclaimed for being a director, finally. And uh, this movie is, um, like I said, a very similar storyline to Hit. A guy comes back from you know, Vietnam, and he's all... Uh, and this entire world is destroyed by drugs. So he goes and he wants to get vengeance on... Mm-hmm. Uh, those that ruined his family and all that stuff. So um, it's a it's a, a, a far fetched and violent violent movie. Um, As you can one see, one of those R rated trailers. Here we go. Yeah, very R rated. And um, but this but th- but it's a, a great movie. And Paul Winfield is just as always fantastic. And this is when he was actually like a star. He kind of like um, this is when he was skinny. Yeah, that's why he probably wasn't a star after a while. Mm-hmm. It was, but it's kind of sad. I, I felt bad for him because he. Well, he's always busy though. I mean, he never was starting to work. Yeah, but I like. I really thought 
uh, he knew how to maneuver a lead. Mm -hmm. He really could could make even when he was silent for half the movie. He really could just make uh, every inch of any film he was in, like Sounder or whatever, mm -hmm. just pivot towards him. And, and he was a really excellent actor. And I think you know, as time went on, it, nothing happened to him as an actor or even in his life. He had a you know didn't have a tragic life. And it was just it was just sad because I you know uh, there were opportunities for him. And I think, I don't know why they missed out on this, but this film really is just a, a wonderful underseen, um, I think it's 20th Century yeah, Fox, right? Fox, yeah. I mean, it's kind of criminal. They just don't um, sling this one out every once in a while. It's yeah, really they used to run on like the Fox movie channel used to show this a lot, but that's pretty much it. It's, it's pretty much a forgotten film now, which is too bad. No, it's a, a total, it's a, it's a sham. Yeah. Great movie. Now jumping further back to 1970, this is Tick, 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 which was a film that until not too long ago when the DVD finally came out, this was a really tough one to see for a long time. Yeah. Unless uh, like TBS used to show it at like 2 a.m. in the morning, like maybe once every four years or something. It was really hard to see after the, uh, the initial runs. But this is a great, very highly racially charged melodrama from Ralph Nelson. Uh, kind of at the Rit peak of Written by James Lee Barrett. Yeah, wrote, yeah. What, what did he write? Everything, but he mm -hmm. also wrote In the Heat of the Night. Yep. He also created the TV series, which lasted for like 37,000 years. And, uh, and uh, so, of course, the immediate comparisons were that it's, you know, what was it that Malton called it? Like, uh, it was In the Heat of the Night light. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Totally different film. I will tell you right now, any movie with the two names, Ralph and Nelson, <laughs> next to each other, you do avoid any review you can. Just forget them. They don't, they're, they're nonsense. He is brilliant, flat out. I mean, for, you know, up until at least 1980, you're talking the guy did some really amazing movies. Yes, including Embryo, so fuck off. <laughs> Great movies. These are brutal, ferocious, just hard-hitting, socially relevant. He did Charlie, which is really, oh, a, a, again, a masterpiece. Um, I, you know, so whatever you've been fed, whatever Malton guides you've been fed growing up, or Roger Ebert, I don't know what these, I don't know who doesn't like Ralph Nelson, but if they even are, they're wrong. You go right head, head first and you're gonna have a great time. Soldier Blue. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are, even even his comedies, like, you know, um, the, the one with uh, Sidney Poitier. Um, uh, oh, oh, go find it yourself. Um, <laughs> amazing. He's he just was a great TV director in the in the fifties, alongside Fielder Cook and uh, Sidney Lumet and uh, all those guys. He was one of those New York guys. Um, and this film really is just you know no joke when they say it's like a powder keg. It really is. It's designed that way. Yeah. And then the, 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 the like Jim Price poster was the source of like the real, one of the coolest LP soundtrack covers out there. You couldn't miss That's it. Right. But yeah, if you ever Lilies see the album, of the Field. Okay, sorry. Lilies of the Field, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, grab the soundtrack if you can. It's only on vinyl, but really worth picking up as well. It's awesome. Rated G. <laughs> when that meant something different. <laughs> Very different. G for this Go. This is Dracula's Rhythm of the Grave. Nice G-rated family fair. G for Go. So here we have Daryl Duke's Payday from 1973. And of course, that is the uh, rip, late and uh, much missed Rip Torn, one of our all time great American character actors here. Rip Torn. Yep. Getting a very rare uh, leading role here. Uh, didn't happen very often. But and he is one. a disgusting, sleazy creep in this movie. Yeah. This is a mind scarer. You can Look kind of like, you, you can actually like smell him coming off the screen in this movie, I yeah. think. <laughs> this yeah. should have been an odorama. It's an amazing movie. It's got a perfect film. Mm -hmm. It's uh, by the director of The Silent Partner. 
and a great movie. Uh, but this really was a, a bit of a classic at the time. And what was strange was like, it was one of those movies that received flawless reviews. Like, there, I don't, I, I, even as a kid, I was like in the third grade, I remember, no matter where I turned, it was like you knew it was a movie to see, only I never knew where to see it. it didn't, I don't, you know, I don't think it was something that was promoted very heavily, uh, either in print ad or on TV. This trailer, I don't ever remember seeing, and I was, in, you know, I was an addict. Yeah, I've actually never seen this trailer before I saw it on this reel, so that was a nice surprise. Yeah. But, and yeah, again, there's another movie that's gotten totally buried now, which yeah. is too bad. I mean, you can see they're trying very hard to show that it's not a character study like Five Easy Pieces. Mm -hmm. They're trying to show the more lascivious nature, the violent nature of it, and it really is not what the, the movie is. Um, it's character-based, and you get that. The temp it's, this is not the same temporal flow as the movie, so no. uh, definitely a movie to seek out, but um, doesn't quite you know, reflect the, uh, the trailer. It does not. So now here we have another, this is another missing in action movie that people have been hankering for for a very long time. It hasn't been around since the VHS days, but this is Buster and Billy. Yeah, this is like some of the most depressing films ever in yeah. a row of these trailers are so depressing. This is one of the most depressing films of the, 19, of the early 1970s. Um, yeah, 1974. All right. And Joan Goodfellow, God, I don't even think she was in anything else after this. She is just plain Jane, supposedly, movie, but he's a hunk, and man, they just sell this. They sell the 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 time period of the forties. They sell the uh, the characters, the relationship. Um, it was one of the most emotionally devastated. There was a very young Robert England. You can yeah. see in that shot. Um, a very sad, very very bleak movie, and uh, it, it ushered in other and films. Pretty like shocking at the time. Oh, to was... Billy Joe and shut the yeah. stuff like that. These. Yeah. Sort of backwoods, you know, romances, tragic romances. Yep. Great movie. And now shifting gears again to 1977. Here is Joyride. Which I saw, I think it was the first time I was ever stoned. <laughs> uh, I do not remember anything about this movie. I remember like a hot tub scene. Is that this thing? <laughs> well, this is back when Robert Carradine was like popping up and stuff like, you know, pom-pom girls and this was his, his kind of drive-in phase. Who did this? Which uh, was always fun. Who directed this? God, I don't remember. Joseph Rubin? Yeah, Joseph Rubin. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, this, was, um, this is one that has a, an amazing uh, young Melanie Griffith Melanie there. Griffith, the MP. Uh, this is one that's actually a bit of, in a bit of home video trouble right now because the soundtrack is awesome. It's wall-to-wall -wall songs, but due to legal clearances, apparently it is kind of in limbo now. So if you're hankering for a Blu-ray as of this recording, it probably ain't going to happen, folks, uh, because this is one that is severely snagged up, which is a shame. But, that's right. So, Desi Arnaz Jr. Yeah. Not exactly what you would call a box office draw at the time. Or ever? Ever. <laughs> Except House yeah. of the Long Shadows, maybe? I, no, I, I even remember a friend when I got the, the variety of that, you know, with that in it, the announcement for that in it. I right. remember we're flipping through the variety and all of a sudden I hear, oh, oh, you know, and it was like, <laughs> so, nah, yeah, he wasn't, but uh, Melanie was finally legal here at the age of, what, 13? No, I don't know. This <laughs> is after night moves already, so. Right. Uh, but I, you know, I do remember that it was it was actually a pretty pretty brutal film, uh, uh, and yeah, I think the trailer is reminding me. 
Yeah, but lots of fun. We're, we're really hitting the uh, kind of the, the car chase road movie phase of this collection coming up. We've got like three in a row that are about to hit. This is a good, a good <laughs> and they all end unhappily. <laughs> right? Yeah. This is back, back when like day. almost every movie yeah. had to end with your heroes getting like creamed in the middle of the road yeah, at some exactly. point. <laughs> hit by trains, blowing yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. Seventy-five dollars. Oh, mother! You're not gonna stop. Even if it wasn't a road movie, it still had to happen at the end. Back, but like as a post Easy Rider, like you know, for there was about a period of like four or five years, I think. And this is kind of a holdover, like later in the decade. But yeah, you always had these like really bleak endings. And Lockhart, right? She's June Lockhart's daughter. Remember, yep. and she looks like it too from yep. Lassie. Okay, here they come, one so, after another. Rapid fire horrors. So here is one of the all-time great uh, road chase movies yes. in the wake of uh, Bonnie and Clyde. This is just an absolute, I think, full-on, brilliant film. John, John Huff. Huff. Yeah. <laughs> his, his two films for James H. Nicholson with his 20th Century Fox deal right after leaving AIP. And so tragically, the guy died before he could taste the money that he was... He had two hits in a row, massive, massive hits with John Huff, and uh, who's a, a Brit wonderful British director. And this movie is crazy. This is a total Freudian masterpiece with Peter Fonda as his maniac and his two cohorts, Susan George and... Uh, and um, uh, uh, <laughs> the back seat, the guy in the back seat, the Ron. Uh, no. Anyway. Anyway, the other actor, he, uh, Adam Rourke. Yeah, Adam Rourke. One is, one is the super ego. One is the ego, and he is just his own id gone crazy. You see in the personage of Vic Morrow, who just comes out of fucking nowhere as like the law in a helicopter. So it's the most Freudian nightmare scenario. It's all like him chasing himself, basically, and his his Freudian uh, uh, de deconstruction is just chasing himself until uh, the most insane climax, uh, where he literally just can't go any farther anymore and just, you know it's, it's just a, a nutty nutty movie uh and vic morrow great other just the cast is so damn good um and and, and as you can see the stunt work in this is phenomenal just and it's john huff yeah. i mean oh my god where did this come from yeah doing this like legend of hell house back to back i mean good god how <laughs> i don't know but he was as versatile as it gets you know um <laughs> Yeah, great, great cast. Adam, you, Adam Rourke is really special in this too. I mean, mm -hmm. he's uh, Roddy McDowell, uh, who was in. I think he did it as a, as a just as yeah. a, a gift, right? <laughs> yeah. To for for Huff for having done the, the Hell House. Yeah. Hell House. And here he jumps to Disney movies after this, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, does Escape from, from Witch Mountain, Mountain and then Return yeah. to Witch Mountain and Watcher in the Woods. I mean, it's like back to well, back. Well, he would have done the Black Hole. Yeah. But it's oh. enough of him in there to justify. I like that movie too. Mm -hmm. Adam Rourke. As Franklin, thank you. That helps. That helps us. But yeah, Fox was on a roll at the time. It's really nuts. Really great summer movie. BG, thank you. Yeah. And so here we have the kind of but not really sequel to I think one of the darkest, most foul-tempered of all the uh, the car chase movies. Um, uh, well, we that, yeah, that was even that, that that previous movie was sold as like a horror film, right. what I remember. Yeah, Macon County Line was like a really chilling pitch yeah. black movie. This is Return to Macon County from 1975, which is much lighter and much yeah. more fun. Of course, you have super young Don Johnson and Nick Nolte here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a blast of movie as well. This is one that was also held up for years because of music rights, but it's finally uh, as of this recording is finally all clear and free to go. So by the time this comes out, it should be out on the market. But the first one was so popular that oh, just yeah, seeing huge. the name Macon County even 
that in that sign just now yeah. meant like your blood would chill like you know it was it was it was a it had a great you know power over the audience but robin matson mm-hmm. who i liked her she was really good she's um in a lot of these she played a lot of tough psycho kids um She's that she kind of disappeared. She was on soap operas for a little while. I remember. That's where mm-hmm. I first was subjected to her. My sister's watching these soap operas, and not letting me watch my four thirty movies. <laughs> a lot of people get really pissed off at this movie when it came out because again, it is so totally different from Making right. County Line. I mean, there's really nothing in common at all except it's just kids on the run. That's yeah. it, and the law after them. But I mean, so what? There's a million movies with that plot. So, uh, but if you just sort of set that aside and watch it on its own, it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, but again, and they are all dicks. Like you know, whatever whatever they get, they deserve. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're not gonna. They're not like misunderstood heroes. The first one is totally different. Like it, you, you almost feel bad for these guys right off the bat. They're just like yeah. in the in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. And this is like, no, these guys are douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're really setting off a chain reaction. So, you know, all three of them are responsible at some point or another for anything they deserve. So it's a, it's a different movie, but it's a, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Very PG though. And of course, this is like Don Johnson, you know, post like, you know, Herod Experiment and Zachariah Boy before yep. Miami Vice. So he was, and you know, he'd start off as a stage actor. So it's actually fun to see him in this kind of mid period before he really reinvented himself completely. Yep. All right. And here is Angels Die Hard from 1970, the Richard Compton film, which of course we got to have some biker movies in here, which uh, you'll kind of see sporadically scattered around here. Yep. Compton is great. He, he just did the, the last one we saw. The, He's a, but he's a, a, a good TV director too. But mm-hmm. he, before he really hit his stride in TV, he was um, responsible for a lot of these really great low budget, but but not, um, but not low in a terribly kitschy way. Like even this, you see, they're really they got the the you know the oblig- obligatory scenes of you know sex and the biker fetishing stuff right. but it actually is a very well plotted movie and, and, and I remember the last 20 minutes of this I thought were extremely well negotiated it's a really good climax to this thing so I, I like this movie a lot and it is it, it earns its R rating uh, <laughs> almost immediately oh yeah it's a good one and of course, this wasn't too far after you had the sort of the the double whammy. You had Easy Rider, of course, and you had the Altamont, you know, tragedy hitting, and so yeah. bikers were all over the news anyway. And people had this kind of wearing. What year was this? 69? Seventy. Seventy. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't too long after Bill that. Bill Smith. Yeah. A demigod. He's yeah. really, he really, really is great. Again, he he always had the ability to you throw him in one of these movies, and all of a sudden, like unexpectedly, you get like a sympathetic character, even when he's a villain, even when he was doing this the stuff for Lee Frost. He really managed to you know not just steal a movie, but he did it you know ethically. He 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 brought some some three D to his his characters. Yeah. Um, really much better actor than he's really given credit for. Yeah, it's like you never really heard his name that much. He was just that guy you knew his face. But yeah. you never heard people say, oh, I can't wait to go see the William Smith movie. You know, but... Well, I knew him as a kid. I knew him from Grave of the Vampire. Cause yeah, yeah, of course. Things like The Monster Times and Castle of Frankenstein shoved that movie down my throat. I was so excited to see it finally. So when I did, he, to me, he was, you know, again, that another another really sympathetic character. Very well um uh, etched by him you know so um anything else that came by my eyes with him it was just like you know i you, i knew it was him and i automatically gave the film a super chance mm-hmm. but this one's really you know like you can see it it is really brutal um 
And for some reason, I remember this one not, you know, I don't remember it being like a biker movie. It was, it was, it's a thriller to me. You know, I just, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an excellent trailer though. It's a great, great edited trailer. Uh, All right, oh, now here we have here one of is, the weirdest, man. like not really, but almost biopics ever with Evil Knievel playing himself and Gordon Douglas's Viva Knievel from 1977. Not to be confused with the George Hamilton <laughs> Evil Knievel biopic. Yeah, which was written by John Milius, but this right. is better. It's directed by Gordon fucking Douglas. Yeah. Mr. Mr. White Knuckle and this and, movie is absolutely out of its mind. Oh, and Gene fucking Kelly yeah. is insane. <laughs> what a Gene Kelly gets sort of like the the Gene Hackman you know drug sequence from French Connection two mm-hmm. treatment in this one where you're like what the hell great character red buttons <laughs> who actually yeah. I Martin. used to have uh, dinner with at my cousin's house he was <laughs> friends with my uncle uh, really nice guy but red buttons. Man, I don't, you know, uh, he was a, he was a good guy. Yeah, funny, funny dude, Marjo. This is like, how many reasons do you <laughs> yeah. need? Like, how amazing is this guy? To go see this, and <laughs> even get. I would even say, go get the novelization too. I mean, whatever you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, if, if you weren't a kid in the 70s, it's hard to underestimate just what a huge thing Evil Knievel was for a while. I mean, I'm like, there was a period I remember for like a year where every single kid had an Evil Knievel lunchbox. Mm. It was just like a, like an obligatory thing. It had Evil Knievel like toys and figures and everything. He was mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, I think the, the whole like flag design that he, that he hawked had a, big, had a lot to do with it because parents felt good with their kids we playing around with somebody who had a flag, you know, as, as his yeah. symbol, you know. But, I mean, it was really insane just, just how gargantuan he was for a little while. And, like, it shows like that's incredible. You used to have him all the time. I mean, and he was spoofed for years by uh, Albert Brooks's brother, a Dave Osborne with Super Dave. Yeah, Super Dave, yeah. A big joke on this. <laughs> uh, but great movie. Last movie Gordon Douglas did, too. So. Yeah, tons of fun, though. And back to bikers again with our next one here popping up. This is CC and Company from <laughs> 1970 with Joe Namath and the one and only Anne Margaret, who was a huge uh, uh, bike fan in real life. There, <laughs> there are like a million photos of her like riding her hog, and of course she got to ride one in Viva Las Vegas. But she's gargantuan motorcycle buff. More recently, this was actually prominently featured uh, briefly in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, up on the screen for a second. Let me ask you though: Was this movie ever rated R? Or was it just a uh, yes. R-rated movie given a PG? Because I remember quite a bit of nudity in this, and from Anne Margaret. Yeah. And I don't know. I I've, I haven't seen it in decades, and I don't remember if this was PG or. I, I, I believe it was always. I've always seen it as an R. I mean, there was a lot of see, nudity. I've, in I've it. only seen it listed as a PG. Yeah. So that's why I'm curious. With this, uh, okay, yeah, because I it would have to be an R. It's at least originally. Yeah. But this was, yeah, I, re- I remember there's a lot of nudity. In yeah, there's film. a ton. There's a ton of toplessness, and I know like the scene by the campfire is definitely rated yeah. R for sure. But it's actually well directed. Again, it's well directed. Um, this is Seymour Robbie, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did another movie. I think a few years later, which was really, really excellent, a Rankin Bass live action with Desi Arnaz Jr. Yep. Called Marco about Marco Polo. It was a musical with Zero Mostel. Mm-hmm. And how cringe-inducing you would think that is, it is absolutely not. It's a, a really a great little, uh, you know, Matt Saturday matinee musical. So Seymour Rory was was pretty cute, cool, and he did a lot of uh, a lot of TV also, which was. Uh, also pretty memorable oh, yeah. uh, but this movie's you know that's a it's actually a great little movie you know I mean if anything you can learn from the trailers here is that uh, guys you know I don't know who's reviewing these movies but they're very biased reviews and they're they're like uh, anti anti-establishment you know anti um, 
independent, you know, film non-studio reviews and i'm sure there's a lot of studio films that got lousy reviews for being for trying to emulate these independent movies uh but the independent movies also got slammed (laughs) you weren't going to see you know and i think that was mainly a political thing as instead of like an actual you know like reviewing the movie's value i think that you know alan carr uh, alan carr good gosh (laughs) i didn't even know that but yeah i guess he could with all the musical uh good music in this movie (laughs) sort of yeah and here, jumping forward, we get uh, 1972's The Loners. Uh, well, this is a nutty movie. Yeah. Great movie. Another great one. Dean Stockwell, mm-hmm. another sleazy, violent. Todd Sussman, who I only see him in, like, you know, what, every episode of Love American Style? Like that, he's, he, you know, and that uh, star-spangled girl, you know, mm-hmm. that era oh, yeah. of, of, like, you know, Charles Fox-scored comedies, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd see Todd Sussman, not in something this grim and brutal. Uh, but you, once you see Todd Sussman, you'll go, I know that guy's face. He's a very friendly face and a lot of commercials also at the the time period but this is a very violent uh, ghoulish little film ghoulish is like the, the word of the day with this this, this yeah, population totally. so far um, but Dean Stockwell is not someone I really kind of pick he, you can see look he looks kind of uncomfortable in the in his, in well, this his... is kind of where he wasn't really a child star anymore but he hadn't quite figured out who he was as an adult because it was not too long after like Dunwich Horror for example right. you know where he always you know, I can that still way. believe him as that character yeah yeah and that one kind of works a bit of a he's sort of wackadoo in that one anyway and this yeah. one it's like he's not quite the, the, and isn't this a gag from the Love Bug? Kind of, <laughs> I remember the, 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 the two gay guys drive up and, mm-hmm. and they're, hey, baby, whatever. <laughs> the same gag. Um, yeah, this is a very strange film, but I, I've just an, an, a really nutty, great, great little film. <laughs> um, see, I don't know, if they're trying to do this nowadays, just I, for some reason the textures don't mesh. You know, you, you kind of need this, you know kind of film stock that's the, the must it's like short short ends you know from like a bigger production or something yeah well I mean, it just it just california doesn't look like this anymore no so it's like he doesn't have i mean if you, the if you shot it on digital that still would have it wouldn't have as enticing a, a, a you know veneer to it yeah uh, the, the fanfare, fanfare corporation, corporation. Well, uh, <laughs> get chris pajali on that one uh, <laughs> yeah totally all right, now here we have The Losers, another, another 1971. Perfect. I mean, you actually a great double feature with The Loners. Yeah. I mean, this is another nutbag film. Uh, makes absolutely no sense. It's like, let's take The Dirty Dozen, take The Devil's Eight, which makes even less sense than The Dirty Dozen, and let's call it The Losers and have it make absolutely no sense, but it is completely just like a, a it just a jewel. You know, again, uh, Adam Rourke, mm-hmm. great uh, and then Bill Smith too, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you're getting a, a, some heavy hitters uh, on this one. Um, again, a bunch of mo- motorcycle, mo- not even motor, these are like motocross bikes dropped into Vietnam because <laughs> they can drive them. I, it just makes no sense. But it's a lot of fun watching them strap these, you know, you know, like a whole armory to these things, and uh, they make it uh, they make it believable for a minute. Yeah. But it's uh, it's really fun, really violent, and just out of its mind. Yeah, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, pretty ambitious too. I mean, you, when you look at the scale of these things, it's amazing considering just how very cheaply they were made. But that's, I mean, dummy, <laughs> yeah, dummy deaths, dummy deaths. And, yeah, I mean, like how many motorcycles Pants are, they, are yeah. off? Yeah, <laughs> I got my dummy deaths. 
Yeah, in case you don't know, Destructible Man is the uh, the ultimate online tome about dummy deaths in film. So uh, Howard knows whereof he speaks. Yeah, the, this one especially, it's great because when you have a dummy death, you can have all these crazy like visual and thematical things that float, kind of connect to the, the idea of a dummy death. You can have a lot of substitutions and illusions, references to illusions, and you'll have dolls and mannequins and all sorts of, and it's all through this movie. You'll see some visual clues and you'll like a lot of human facsimilia and a lot of strange, you know, thematic devices like just about illusions and fakery. This movie's it's, it's another fanfare film. Mm-hmm. All right, run, Angel, run. God, more bikers. They're all over this thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nicely done trailer. Look at that. Yeah, like this is really good. screens? That's nice. Yeah. Uh, this is the earliest of the batch. This is 1969, so this is actually one of the earlier of the uh, Easy Rider kind of and knockoffs. And it earns its R rating in spades. This is another just no, no if you think there's pg movies from that era that are shocking this is this definitely fits the bill as an r so uh, <laughs> nice and tight all right so here we have this Kane's looks way. like it's going to be fun oh yeah. yes this is uh yeah, this is kane's way kane's way which is also known as kane's cutthroats and uh this one is actually kind of funny for the uh, odd uh, fact that it was accidentally branded as a video nasty for a little while. It wasn't prosecuted, but um, just due to, mis- <laughs> due to a mislabeling understanding Oops. in the marketing in the UK, it was temporarily uh, branded as one anyway. So, but if you yes, watch they, the film, they got confused with not released in the UK with right. you know, being <laughs> being banned in the UK. But yeah, this is a yeah. They keep showing if, you, if you're wondering why you're seeing this guy with one eye, uh, he's raping Scott Brady's wife and thrust his mangled socket in her eye while he's raping her. This is a nasty, nasty film. Um, from the beginning to the very, very end. It's it's just a... And it's one of those movies that, once again, you're going to read, like, you'll open the IMDb up and you'll see, like, you know, one out of ten. And you should reverse that immediately. Like, oh, it's, it's <laughs> got to be... It, it, it will satisfy the lowest aspects of your... Um, interests it, it, it it'll find them it'll make you forced to admit that this is what you want to watch and then you will embrace it yeah. amazingly uh, amazing amazingly satisfying uh, creepy little film yeah and kind of a holder like a rare example of like one of the later sort of color examples it still kind of has kind of a roughy aesthetic even though those were on the yeah. way out uh, cinematically speaking but if you want to see like kind of a weird genre hybrid with what was considered a roughy at the time this uh, still has a lot of that kind of vibe to it kind of with um, like the wicked die slow is another one that kind of yep. fits that bill too mm-hmm. you got to watch this with like you know cry for me billy or something <laughs> like that you know you really want to walk out of this thing feeling just skimmed you know <laughs> John Carradine. Yeah, he's actually really good in this, too. Mm-hmm. another good one. <laughs> ah. <laughs> he's in it for like 14 seconds. They, mm-hmm. they're they milk every it. second of it, yeah. yeah, every frame. Yep. Look at this. Great movie. Yeah, this is a really cool trailer, too. This is a fun I've one. I've never seen this trailer. This is really wild. <laughs> I'm sure the trailer's in better shape than whatever you know copy of the film you could find now. Yeah, good luck finding a copy of the movie itself. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully if enough people see this, uh, maybe some of these movies like start getting put out because, uh, like I said, a lot of them are sort of still stuck under rocks somewhere. Yeah. Kane's Cutthroats. I knew it as Kane's Way. Yeah. Not Kane's Cutthroats. Yeah, like I said, this had a few different uh, different titles. <laughs> <laughs> but, God, yeah. I can't forget like, how violent these trailers were back then. Yeah, really violent. And that is, am I right, from Carpenter? 
Assault on Precinct 13? Yeah. Oh, Darwin Johnston. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know he was in something before that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Huh. Yeah, he has a pretty short roster, though. All right, now here we go with, uh, boy, how do you describe this one? A really <laughs> sadistic, supernatural, yeah. gothic, western piece of brilliance from By Clint Eastwood. By the author of Shaft. Yeah. High Plains Dripper from 1973, which is part of uh, Clint Eastwood's absolutely glorious run at Universal in the 70s, also including yeah. things like Play Misty For Me and The Beguiled and all that great yeah, stuff. The it's funny because this one, it does, it's not like a Leone. It's not like a, no, it's what not it like is. It's, it's like, uh, you know, like an Antonio Margariti Western, something a little more supernatural. Yeah, or, there's no Leone in this movie at all. No, it's, it's very Margariti with the, 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 the type of tension it's building up and the dread of, of this character returning from, you know, uh, from death supposedly Um, and I know he had had a similar sort of thing with Hang 'em High uh, a few years earlier Um, yeah but Hang 'em High still has kind of that the TV western kind of vibe to it Don Don Post Ted Post Yeah, Don Don Post are all wearing those (laughs) vermilion skull masks Uh, but this is a great script. Uh, uh, Verna Bloom from Animal House. Yeah. Uh, Dean Warmer's wife is in this, and, and a really unusual character, great mm-hmm. character. Uh, this, this whole thing is uh, like a, I just I could probably say this is a you know I guess nowadays a classic, uh, and it also has a, a lot of the early you know what would become his stock company of actors, and stuff, yeah. Jeffrey Lewis and. So yeah, I mean, it opens up with a scene. Yeah, the, the rape scene at the beginning of this movie is something that I. Yeah. Nobody. I mean, if you show this to someone cold today, they'll just freak the hell out at the opening of this movie when they and, see and what it's, he does. And it's Eastwood totally using his power at that point and using yeah. his box office power. Well, as you can see, like when he like just paints the entire town just like bright red as a way as part of his whole vengeance scheme against the, the, yeah. the townspeople. Of course, it was a commentary on you know all the crimes that were happening here in the seventies, of course, um, in the late sixties. You know, all the social crimes uh, that that people had become. You know, that they didn't want to help their, their neighbors anymore. And you know, so this film is really commenting on that. But. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's almost Antonioni-ish in a way, the whole, like, the painting, the way he uses the color symbolism and the landscape and everything. It's kind of an art western in a way, too. Yeah. Great film. Mm-hmm. Really great. <laughs> Good trailer, too. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've never seen this trailer, either. And now for something much gentler and much more tear-jerky, we have, no, back to Sam Peckinpah again, this is Ballad of Cable uh-huh. Hogue from 1970. And quite funny. Yeah. It's a fun movie. This is a fun movie. It, it doesn't deny what you would like to see out of a Western. It certainly doesn't hold back violence. It doesn't... But it's it's really a, 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 his a very sweet-natured um, ballad, mm-hmm. you know, of this, of this very uh, unorthodox character for the time. Um, great movie. And I, I, for a, a brief moment... In the late 70s, early 80s, this was the most talked about Peckinpah film. Like, people were rediscovering it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after so many years of him becoming sort of like a joke with the, the violence, which he, he isn't, but people took it as a joke, made a lot of joke, you know, superficial, um, you know, mockery of the slow motion and stuff. And this, suddenly this, this one came up. And, um, and, and I don't think people were ready to talk, to really give praise to... Uh, things like Cross of Iron, which was also demolished critically when it mm-hmm. came out in the late 70s, and also uh, uh, Alfredo Garcia demolished, was, it was just wiped away. Um, 
except for I think Roger Ebert. I think he's like one of the only ones to give it like four stars or something at the time. But mm -hmm. this movie um, did get very good reviews. It was well reviewed and 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 you know it was it played. But it was just sort of forgotten, uh, I think, because people uh, became more and more superficial as the days go on, yeah. and they want, they were fed that they should want a violent slow motion uh, peck and pot. Well, he, they so got, of course he followed this with straw dogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's sort of like the 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 reverse of what happened to poor Ken Russell, who made a masterpiece with the devils, and to prove himself, he went and made the G-rated, uh, you know, the boyfriend within, mm -hmm. like, f f five, eight months or something. It's just a tr panic to try and show people. I can do. So it was the other way around. He, he did this because he sort of, like, for that reason, after the Wild Bunch, and then he realized, fuck, now I have to prove myself again and <laughs> get back in the good graces of the people who hated me in the first place. No. Uh, great movie, and Stella Stevens is just the characters are just really lovely, and there's there's no low point in this film. It's just a, a very a, a really solid, a funny, fun, uh, and like you said, at times tear jerky in a good way, mm -hmm. in in the in the best way, in the least manipulative way, it's cynically manipulative way. It's a good movie. I think they've actually milked every frame of nudity in this movie in the trailer. <laughs> I don't like, even remember it in the film. I was like, they make this look way dirtier than it really yeah, is. Yeah, I only it's remembered not... it in the lobby cards. I don't even remember yeah, it in like the movie. Yeah, the movie's not remotely leering but as the trailer they gotta, makes it you look. Know, when you have, when you have Sag Fim Pekapa and you don't have anything else in it, you got to sell what you can. But <laughs> it is a good trailer. But the, the song the song is great. It's a good yeah. Goldsmith score. It's great. Yeah, a oh, great Goldsmith score. And now Junior Bonner from 1972, jumping forward a little bit. This, of course, is post-Straw Dogs. I have to admit, I, was, I went to see this. It was in second grade, so I was like seven. And we walked out of it because we were bored. <laughs> I do admit. <laughs> well, but to be fair, this is not a movie geared for again, second I mean, graders. I went back again with my sisters, and I, I, yeah. we liked, I liked it. So I did see it again, you know, and it was... It was but it, 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 this really is soap opera. This is not... This is a, 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 a drama with uh, some really sad reflections on life mm -hmm. and family. Um, and the cast really understands who they're playing, which is, makes it, I think, even more devastating at the by the end. And mm -hmm. um, and it's a it, it's a movie that if you do see it when you're young, I, I'm just coming from my own experience. It, it's it you you don't grow out of it, you grow into it, you grow up with it. You know, so it was weird. Every time I saw it from then until now, I I see it as a different movie. It's a, a really mature film and very sad. Yeah. Um, no matter how many the fact that there is humor in it. Uh, you know, there is some, obviously, <laughs> I wouldn't say, you could say it's exploitable in the trailers, but uh, some idea of violence, but um, it's really a, a melodrama. Yeah. And this is kind of when movies are really turning to these kind of strange sort of like studies in, in like the masculine identity and like dissecting at things like, you know, the cowboys and when the legends die, movies like that. It was kind mm -hmm. of becoming a, a thing where, I guess maybe it's like a post-Vietnam deal where like the whole idea yeah. of the American man, you know, being the upstanding provider for the family, they're starting to kind of get flipped upside down and inside out and it got really strange. But this, uh, it has that kind of same melancholy vibe to it uh, that those other films have as well. And it, but still lots of stunts and fights and all that kind of good stuff. And Robert Preston. Yeah, Robert I mean, Preston, like, yeah. The cast is just so unexpected for, for Peckinpah, but um, once you get into Peckinpah, you start to realize, uh, you know, he he really did, uh, he knew how to pick the very perfect person for, for his casts. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's very few of, I would not even say few, there's probably one or two maybe in his career where there's some odd casting, but I wouldn't even go that far really. Yeah. Now here we have a film that went under, I think they, think they issued this under like 10 different titles trying to make money <laughs> off of it. I never quite took, but this is a Camper John from 1973, which also got shopped around as a Prologue to Wounded Knee, Once Upon a Tribe, Gentle Savage, I think was the VHS yeah. title of it. This uh, thing just played over and over and over and I over and over. played by me as Prologue to Wounded, wounded Knee. Yeah. I remember that. Because again, it was Bill Smith. Yeah. Uh, and that was a, he was pushed on me as a kid. Cinemation. See, that's why I didn't yeah. know. Cinemation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What a nice looking trailer, too. Mm -hmm. Did, was this like, you know, in somebody's refrigerator for 60 years? <laughs> Look yeah. at this. It looks it's beautiful. But yeah, this was back in the day when you could actually like go see a movie and then two years later you walk in to go see a movie and suddenly realize you already paid to see the damn thing before and they just called it something else. Yeah. Uh, but this was like one of the, the kings of that where um, they kept trying to redisguise it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I like, I think I remember liking this one. I don't remember it too well, but I, I again, I saw that all the, I think I, I think I saw all of these at the age of like between seven and 10. <laughs> Is that Gene Evans? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good, good cast. Yeah. But again, I think they're trying to make this look a little bit more action-packed and a lot rougher than it actually is. It's actually a pretty pretty tame yeah. movie. Again, it's a, a melodrama. Yeah. But again, you know, these are the things, like if you see this cast, you're really not going to have a, you're not going to have an issue with it. These yeah. are, you just have to put your Leonard Malton guides under your toilet and not worry about them. And come well, on. any movie that actually stars William Smith, because exactly. there aren't that many of them, you got to go see. I think yes. another great one is a Hollywood Man. If you yeah. have a chance oh, to see it, it's a great scope. Well, aren't moment. we getting into a little Jack Sturrett in a little while? Yeah, we are, yeah. So... Yeah, that's another name. You see Jack Starrett and you see a one-star review, you can tell it to go fuck itself. Yeah. And if you see Jack Starrett and William Smith in the same movie, then you know you've got to drop everything and yeah. go see it whenever you oh can. My God. <laughs> or Gene Barry. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, Gene Evans, sorry. Gene Barry, too. Gene Evans is here. Gene Evans, who was, uh, I remember him from the Steel Helmet, <laughs> Sam Fuller masterpiece. Mm -hmm. He's amazing in that. You know, I think cigars were, were made in his mouth and then <laughs> sold. You know, the other way around, Gene Evans and his head in a, in a munched wet cigar is really... But Joe Flynn, that's an odd piece of casting, so I don't remember him. There's a lot of Peckinpah people here. Mm -hmm. The whole cast of Pack Arrett and Billy McGinn. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty sad shot. Yeah, I, I do see dynamite taped to their bodies. <laughs> that's nice. Camper John. That's a good, that's a good one. Beautiful looking trailer. That's a very well preserved trailer. Yeah. Because yeah, that's, that's what, 71, too? Yeah. Something like that? Uh, 73, actually. So that's where Francis Ford Coppola stole the shot coming out of the water in Apocalypse Now and the whole French. No, I <laughs> This is all apocalypse now. He's, he stole it from this movie. Yeah, this is another 1973 we've got here. This is No Mercy Man, uh, which if on home video, you probably know this one better as uh, Train to Kill USA, Steve Sandor, yeah. uh, Rodney Tarkington. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is uh, this was actually one of the pre Golana Globus Canon films uh, back when it was a, a British-owned company. Uh, so those obviously have a very different flavor from the Canon that we know now. Of course, it was a, they really don't even belong together. It's almost like two different companies essentially. Richard X. Slattery, God yep. bless him. 
<laughs> Another Russ Meyer dude. But do you remember this one actually playing in theaters? Did this play in your No Mercy home? Man? Yeah. I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, at, there were two indoor drive, uh, indoor drive, you know, had outdoor and indoor. Mm-hmm. I remember playing at the indoor of uh, two local drive-in theaters. I don't, I don't know if I played the outdoor. I just didn't pay attention, but I remember it also, they also had it at the indoor. So yeah, it played, well, it played Long Island anyway. I don't know about the rest of the world. Another well-preserved trailer. Look at this. Yeah. Because I've never seen a print of this one pop up anywhere. I've only seen like really, really bad video copies of it. So I'd be very curious oh. to see how it plays like in a decent quality. Mm. It's a nicely shot point. movie. I mean, it's, this looks like it's, who's that guy, Paul, Paul Hip or something? Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. That looks like something he would do. Yeah. yeah, this trailer looks about like 20 times better than I've ever seen the actual movie yeah. look. So That's a fun movie. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Uh, another downbeat, you know, thing, but well cast. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah, but yeah, I remember this popped up on TV from time to time again. But also, again, it looked really awful. It was like a, like the 16 print or something that they used when they sourced it. But it used to run the afternoon right. a few times, which it seemed it was pretty brutal stuff. And we're still going on. Right. And I'm like, wow. Hey, well, why am I thinking there might be a dummy death in this? Ah, yeah, it's just me. Well, I mean, 73. I'm sure they're Sid probably Hague, Sid, Hague. Sid Hague. Sorry, Sid. See you later, Sid. buddy. Rest in peace. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. This is, I haven't seen again. I haven't seen this thing probably since what nineteen seventy-eight, seventy-seven. And now jumping forward to seventy-six. Here's Black Shampoo. Oh, uh, Graydon the, Clark. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest titles of the seventies alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a fun one. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a scene in this I won't go into. But not that there's no reason to say about it. It's I, literally, it's, it's so shocking. <laughs> I don't, it, it's beyond a spoiler. So I will, I'll ref, I won't do it. I won't go there. But I will make you go watch it if you haven't seen it yet. Because <laughs> it is, it's a it's even the, the, there was a very nice deluxe edition DVD for this too. Tons of extras. And stuff. Yeah. I, would, I would definitely, you know, buy it. And it, this is a good blind buy. You wouldn't have to worry about it too much. Um, it's part of, part of the, the small subgenre of shampoo exploitation films that came out <laughs> after the Hell Ashby film. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I, unless you can find episodes of the canceled series before it even aired, Snips with David, <laughs> uh, whatever his name was, Hot Pretzels and Mustard, uh, whatever, <laughs> Philadelphia comedian. But you can't even, the trailer doesn't really show it off quite as much, but this is actually like a really psychedelically colorful film. It's yeah. like super, like just eye searingly vibrant when you, when you see a good uh, print of this. Hey, oh, hey, well, again, here. Here's the scene. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a good hint at that scene. Yeah. yeah. Now this is something you really should put on your roster. This is. <laughs> yeah. And was this even R? Or was it X? Uh, it's it's an R. Yeah. It was R. Yeah. Did they? Was there an audience who rated that, or they just said, "Let's just rate it R"? I mean, yeah. it was this. I would probably go for an unrated or an X, but this one. That's yeah. dimension. dimension. That's why. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Great. Didn't care enough. Yeah. Yeah, black shampoo. That's a good one. And so now, of course, we are in the proper black exploitation uh, mode of this collection again. So here's Trouble Man, a film that we've gone on the record about quite a bit already in the past. So, uh, but this is 1972, or uh, this is a great one. This is a really kind of nice sort of neo noir crime film. A really fun one. But if you want to hear us yap about it, just go get the Blu-ray because you can hear us go on and on for 90 yeah. minutes about it. That's right. Yeah, it's it's good. And this is Ivan Dixon. Yeah. 
who did the spook who sat by the door mm -hmm. and was the token black uh, guy in the gulag in Hogan's Heroes. Uh, one role that I remember in that show that mm -hmm. they allowed a black guy in. Um, but he was obviously uh, a little bit a little bit better than than just a, an actor. Yeah. A Renaissance saw, man. Yeah, and you saw their touting Marvin Gaye. This was back when you had the big superstar doing your soundtrack in the, in the wake of like Shaft and Superfly. Well, this was still 20th Century Fox. This yeah. wasn't AIP. I mean, yeah. so yeah, you could go and have a little bit extra money, go, go a little bit farther. Right. Uh, although AIP did get away with some good stuff. And yeah, now here's gonna... another. Okay, here's <laughs> Jack Sturrett. This is some of the strangest violence I've ever seen. Uh, Antonio Fargus. And some of the strangest acting I've ever seen. by trucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is some bizarre violence. And even though this was, this says it was PG, I believe the DVD that was released to this, and I think maybe subsequently, is all the R-rated, the actual R-rated, original R-rated cut. Yeah, and the weird, yeah, because we're, we're about to hit this in the sequel, so we should just talk about both of them, but it is odd that this was theatrically, this was PG when it was most widely shown, but then the sequel was rated R, so go figure. Um, but yeah, but Shelley Winters is absolutely just out of control in this movie. Yeah. Uh, you've never heard someone scream the words black bitch the way she does in, in, this, <laughs> in this film. And Tamara Dobson's just yeah. outright hot. I mean, she's great. And yeah, yeah, she's great. Here you got uh, Paul Coslow. Again, see, I have a theory, like any, any piece of music that has timpani in it, mm -hmm. even if it's a soundtrack, it's going to be a classic. <laughs> per, per, same thing. If you have Paul Coslow in your movie, mm -hmm. just don't even bother looking at a review. You just know it's going to be great. Look at him. He's just, he's the best. And again, unfortunately, we just lost him, I think, this past year. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. And again, this was a very high-profile production. This was shot in scope, actually. This yeah. was in full Panavision. So if you actually get the uh, the Blu-ray, for example, it's a great, really beautiful-looking film. The way yeah. it's it's really the colors nice are insane. It, yeah. It's bubblegum. They're trying, and and the sequel also succeeds, yeah. I think, in, in doing the same thing. Uh, you, it is not trying to be gritty or you know, it's it's really just like a. Uh, it's more, I think, on the runoff of the James Bond or even the crossover between Bond and, uh, like, Kung Fu with Enter the Dragon type thing. But I think it was before Enter the Dragon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. It has that sort of fantasy aspect to it. Um, and it is hyper-violent without being... Um, uh, what's the word? It doesn't... It's not smeary, ugly violence. Yeah, it's not it's, unpleasant, yeah. It's... it's cool bizarre violence like i said you'll watch some of the strangest strangest sequences of violence in this and she is insane look at that wig she's she's great she was really game i liked her yeah. um <laughs> a bit of a nutty lady but she was really a, she was really on back then well it's, yeah consider also this was kind of it's the James Bond style of violence where it's really sadistic and twisted but not offensive because it's yeah. just so surreal. But this was the same year that Live and Let Die came out, for example. Exactly. You know, and the, the sequel came out the same year as Man with the Golden Gun, and both those films are just very strangely stylized. They have, like, really perverse violence in them, but it's, you know, it's still PG just because it's so ridiculous and not bloody, so you don't really mind it that much, even though it's wall-to-wall -wall carnage, basically, in those movies. And here... So, yeah. This is Cleopatra Jones in the Casino of Gold, which, like I said, was 1975, so it was a nice little two-year gap. But this was one of the very few uh, black exploitation films that got a sequel. That wasn't a very common thing, especially with a female lead. That hardly ever happened at all. You, never, you didn't really see Foxy Brown 2 or Coffee 2. No. I saw this for the first time on a family trip 
to Washington, D.C. I oh, know Williamsburg. I'm sorry, it's Williams, Colonial Williamsburg. And this was on the closed circuit TV we had in our hotel room, or our motel room, even worse. Um, I think this and Drum and Listomania wow. were the films that were available. And, and I'm sorry, um, it was a good roster. It was... Um, the Robinson Crusoe and the Tiger, and which I think was a um, Cardona film, hmm. and also uh, Stone Killer. So that was the options we had. We wow. watched them all after we used to get back from our colonial Williamsburg excursions in 1975 or six, six. <laughs> Norman Fell. Yeah. Who was in the Stone Killer? No, he's uh, this is a great. This is another fun movie. This is directed by Chuck Bell, who's, mm-hmm. who's uh, Richard Rush's premier more in terms of stunts. Uh, he's you can see his his face pops up in a lot of movies, um, but he did, he became a good director and he directed seriously one of the most indelible films of, of my later childhood, which was the Gumball Rally. Oh yeah, uh, which is a you know sort of a classic, um, not entirely upbeat, which is strange uh, comedy. Um, race film. The, the, the cross-country race films at that time, they were sold as either, you know, kind of kitschy jokes, you know, funny, jokey movies, or but they were all kind of grim in some way. Cannonball, they all were, had some kind of stamp on it that was unusually grim. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Chuck Bale, um, really, really fun director. Yeah. Yeah, and again, this is a really beautiful film to look at. Just like, it's like total, just pure pop art fantasy uh, stuff. You can tell the production design and the light and everything. It's really, a, really a, just pure eye candy to watch. And a lot wider than this yeah. also, I think. Yeah. Yeah, again, this is, yeah, this is a, a Panavision film again. Great cast. Yeah, and the action is just very well handled in this thing. I mean, the, the reason why you still, if you've never seen them, you've at least heard about them, is really because you deserve to. They, it's, they're, they're good. These things are just oddball. They had nothing to lose. Yeah. And... Uh, and of course, you can tell by the setting, like Man with the Golden Gun, this is cashing in a bit on the whole, like, you know, Eastern mm-hmm. Kung Fu craze a little bit with the setting and, uh, yeah, the Shaw Brothers look. Like we'll get into that later. Golden though. Needles, the right. would do. It's exactly. a great one. <laughs> so, this is uh, Small Town in Texas from 1976, Ooh. which is a great drive in movie. This uh, should have been, this should have been X. The violence yeah. in this is out of control. This is, a, and was it even PG? It was, it was PG, right? It sure didn't feel like one. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think it was on. It might have been on HBO as PG, but it was like yeah, the deep, I'm pretty typical. Sure that... Another J- Jack Starrett, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Vicious, brutal, brutal, brutal movie. This and uh, I remember it was along the same time as uh, his f- uh, final chapter, Walking Tall, oh, yeah. which was another mind scar. Could never look at a uh, lecture, uh, cattle prod <laughs> the same way ever again after that thing. But this is another one, extremely violent. You can see how widescreen this is. They blew, they zoomed in so tight. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another very wide movie. Um, but this is late in the game. This is, I think, the year Star Wars came out. I think. Yeah. Summer of Star Wars. Uh, he's fantastic. Hopkins is great in this. They're, the cast is excellent. John Garland, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This great movie. Yeah, this is when AIP was really going nuts with the whole like super violent like you know yeah. road movies like Bobby Joe and the Outlaws, another one that's really fun. Very oh. and very bleak, very depressing. Yeah. Well, it's got Susan George, so you know it's got to be pretty grim. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. she's great. Yeah. Also, great. oh, I, I love her. I like you know I like her because she 
she's a very unashamed actress. She really tries very hard to to get into it, you know. And her characters are the the, the ones that most actresses don't want to play because there's, it's unnecessarily complex, uh, you know, according to you know the rules of exploitation. And and she really, I think, was always very successful, sort of surprising. Uh, everyone by just attacking the characters with a, a great sense of um, integrity yeah. yeah uh she's 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 awesome i like the fact she throws herself into her roles like so frenetically i think is why a lot of people respond kind of bandingo probably being the ultimate one where she's just yeah. so absolutely dogged with that part and just really bites into it so a lot of people think it's camp or that it's over the top but not uh, really, actually. That was actually, from what I heard, it was extremely accurate. If not, yeah, if not that, toned down. Yeah, that's the thing. But it's it's uh, so extreme. A lot of people don't quite, yeah. quite know how to digest it when they see it. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Love Susan George. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Back to uh, Jack again. <laughs> Jack Start. This is uh, the Gravy Train from 1974, also known as the Dion Brothers. Yep. And this is a hilarious. Um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I know Terrence Malick has definitely a thumbprint on this. Um, he wrote the script. Uh, it is a, a really um, unique little, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's part comedy. It's part sort of tragedy. It's uh, yeah, and it's a crime caper film. It's a crime caper. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways you could latch onto this one, but it's very cartoonish in a way and not in others. So it's constantly keeps you shocked and and you know kind of offbeat. But the cast is fantastic. Stacy Keach is incredibly endearing. Um, it's just a good script, and the actors just knew what to do with it. And, Margo and, and Star. It's you know he enjoys everybody. A great, great movie, but it's really unique. Like there's, there's really nothing, nothing like it. Richard Roman is, mm-hmm. it's great. Frederick Forrest also a very endearing actor. And uh, yeah, and this absolutely bizarre climax, the last third of the film is just insane. Yeah, but you can tell the movie's kind of a tough one to sell. Even the trailer, you can kind of sense that it's there's some. That you don't know what the fuck. T- it's yeah, about. it's like yeah. yeah, it's like you can tell the marketers yeah. were like, we're gonna sell this as an action film, but you can just feel it's yeah. not. No. That easy to pitch and all down. No. If anything, it's it, it, it's like a, a more of a legitimate attempt at doing something like what Jim Thompson would have written, mm-hmm. where it's humorous, uh, predominantly humorous and, and quirky, but also really psychologically pitted. You know, characters are pitted against each other, and they have a lot of conflicting uh, relationships and emotional and psychological issues right. Fred Carlin great score for this too yeah fantastic mm-hmm. yeah Jack Starrett he's um, unsung yeah he's really one of the one of the top of his era yeah not a dud in the batch too no. look at his roster yeah. all righty now here this is again oh. one of the all-time great missing in action movies right yeah. now I know Talk we've been salivating for this forever this is Peter Collinson's open season yeah. which all least... I can tell you guys is learn finish because yeah. <laughs> every copy you're going to find of this one will have sub finished subtitles over the half the image so yeah that's about that's just as far as it went. Um, it was a stunning, brutal film. Again, yeah. 1974. Peter Collinson is someone you should see everything he directed. Period. But this is one of the very again. Best. Fuck off all the bad reviews. They're misleading you and wasting your time. Go for it. Anything he's done, it's endorsed. But this is really one. This goes in the that sort of arc of sort of 
um, sad, very, very melancholy, tragic um, thrillers like, you know, a couple of, like mainly like Burt Kennedy sort of specialized in them, like Hanny Calder or um, Wolf Lake or, um, you know, um, there, there are other, there are others like the, uh, you know, they're just very sort of sad films, and and uh, the, just deals with the worst elements of, of human behavior. Um, and this one's great because it has a, a fantastic um, arcs, unusual arcs, and mm-hmm. a twist ending. Which, uh, honestly, I, I, not joking, I just fell for it. I just stood up when I <laughs> when I saw the the twist. I was just like, fuck didn't see it coming and that's a good feeling uh, this, is a, this is a great one but yeah he, uh, Collinson's brilliant very rugged director fearless physical director mm-hmm. um, and uh, he did a lot of movies with very difficult the Italian job mm-hmm. with Michael Caine but but post that he did a lot of very um, physical um, you know action uh, thrillers and uh, died he was only 44 years old after doing god like about 20 something films that um I think are pretty amazing. This is one of his one of his masterpieces. Yeah. Yeah. Do not miss this one if you have the chance to see it. In any in any condition. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and here we have Tomcats from 1977. <laughs> which, speaking of movies that were hard to market, the, the posters for this movie are so damn confusing. You have no idea what the hell this is supposed to be. Um, but they kind of tried to sell it as kind of a TNA comedy, I uh, guess. But it's not quite that. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you know, because you have all these minutes in between these sequences. Right. But it's, uh, yeah, it's another weird, like, kind of unclassifiable film. Is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? Is it, you know, it's just in its own little world. So, um, but as you can see, I mean, just the way it's directed is actually, uh, I think, far more inventive than uh, it deserves. It's a really interesting kind of strange film of course that's a super young Chris Mulkey right there way before he was in uh, on Twin Peaks of course and in uh, Patty Rocks which was kind of a notorious indie film for about a minute there and got NC-17 for language at the time but uh, yeah, he's one of those character actors who you see pop up all the time but he never really got a shot at a leading man but he was always pretty good um, now, this is also this, I mean uh, you have to say this is a really deranged film this is not a comedy yeah. it's a, it, it has moments of humor but what, there's the, uh, what's this called was this called Best Friend or something like that also I forgot mm-hmm. it's another very twisted twisted storyline mm-hmm. um, as you can see yeah so this would have been like on par with one of those like a, a film noir back in the 50s like shack out on 101 or so you know something where it wasn't an a-lister but it twisted like one it mm-hmm. had a move like it so it is um it's not some wacky you know comedy it is a, a pretty grim like a very homoerotic thriller yeah. now now this of course is the wonderful super cops from 1974 yep, yep. pg yeah but not <laughs> Um, this is Gordon Parks Jr., right? Yep. Jr., yeah. Yep. Uh, this is meaning, another one that was meaning actually... we don't really know who directed it. Right, yeah, no, exactly. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm sure he, I'm sure he did just fine. Um, but this is a fun movie, a yeah. really great movie. This is another one that played at that mall theater that I always saw my peck and paws at. Um, usually played like any, you know, United Artists or anything like that, so I don't know what this was. But, um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Ron Liebman and David Selby are the Super Cops.
a robbery in progress. This is, I remember this was around the same time as um, that uh, Donald Westlake thing, the, the one with George C. Scott. So here we are with uh, Cops and Robbers from Again, 1973. Again, same theater. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is all the coming attraction from this one theater that I used to go to. Um, yeah, it's another great one directed by my mentor, my college mentor, uh, Aaron Mavakian, who was a brilliant editor. He did Mickey One um, for Arthur Penn. He cut uh, Jazz in a Summer Afternoon. He cut... Um, Honeysuckle Rose, which is brilliant, and he did um, The Miracle Worker, um, also for Penn. Um, and he went off and directed several really quite brilliant films. He directed End of the Road, which is uh, oh, yeah. another a crucial film in the late 60s, early 70s. And this is a movie that is another Donald Westlake um, uh, thriller, comic, th mainly comic, but the way Aram approached it is really quite brilliant. Is um, it's also how Westlake approached it. Surprisingly desperate and frightening uh, because at a certain point you realize these guys are not just in a comic heist caper, which it sort of looks like. Um, they're ready to kill. And there's a couple of moments in this where you go, wait a minute, the stakes are pretty high here. This is unexpected. So there's an edge which I don't think any other era really would have afforded um, to, to add to this sort of, this type of, of comic uh, crime film. Because uh, these movies were sort of like coming fast and furious since the mid-60s. And they were mainly harmless. And you knew it was going to be like the hot rock. There was, there was no one being, you know, no one having a gun put in their face. And then suddenly this one comes around and guns are put in people's faces and the guns are loaded. Mm -hmm. And it's a very unusual, disturbing movie. Um, but it is a comic heist film. So uh, it is not a gritty, grim, horrifying movie. Except for Joe Spinell. <laughs> actually, he's pretty cool in this, too. I mean, he actually has an unusually rich character in this one. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and but a very atypical Michelle Legrand score in this as well. Very. Yeah. But you can see he's using Michelle Legrand. I mean, there's a pedigree, a kind of a, a, you know, a sort of a artsy-fartsy pedigree behind this, too, which is kind of cool. Um, I mean, a great location shooting in this, too. Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, the Versus, Donald Westlake stuff from this era is all, all kind of fun. There's a ton of it. How did they get away with it? Boy, did they get away with it. And on a somewhat nastier vein, coming up here, we have one from AIP. This is a Dirty O'Neill from 1974 that's about wow. to pop up here in just a second. Now, was this ever rated X? No. I think it, it wasn't. R. No. Just a hard R, huh? Yeah. I always thought there was somewhere where this was rated X. I don't think so. Yeah, he really didn't release X-rated stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, except for like Dasad, but it was you yeah. know, pretty rare. But this is funny, it is fun, and it is very R-rated. Yeah. And it's weird. I mean, this guy was funny. I mean, he was a good actor. For I mean, I, I wonder why he didn't kind of do more things yeah. uh, of, the, of, of leading man status. Yeah. I think the movie you're trying to remember was Bank Shot. Is that Bank you're... Shot, yeah. of course. That's it. The yeah, Joey it Cassidy thing? It was the Smith Haven Mall Theater on yeah. Long Island. This is, all these movies, every single one of them played here. All right, not every <laughs> single one, but you know what I'm saying. But yeah, this is, this is um, again, this is a really totally strange film, but it's memorable. And again, it's another one where it's, uh, 
uh, it's kind of unknown because it's actually really hard to see. It actually was available, it's available as this recording is available for streaming online, you can see it, but as far as home video releases go, this one's been really kind of left in the dust. But there's a decent, I think it's a decent streaming copy too. Yeah, it's good. It's no, yeah, gorgeous. MGM actually struck a and really nice. And it's uncut. Yeah, yeah, MGM struck a, struck a really nice un, uncensored version of it that you can see streaming, but that's it. Uh, so yeah, if you really want to see this, which I'd recommend, yeah. that's the only route you have right now. Uh, but yeah, this one's way overdue for a Blu-ray release. So hopefully by the time we record this, somebody's going to announce it because it really should happen. Yeah. Well, the master's out. Yeah, it's out. sitting right there. So yeah, but this is one of those MGM catalog titles that kind of fell through the cracks and never ran on MGM HD or anything, even though it's been sitting around. Um, really, I'm not really sure why, because this, this one's screaming out for it. Yeah. I never knew about the subtitle to this. That's new for me. Yeah, and that's not actually on the film. Okay. So, yeah, they just slapped that on there for the poster and the trailer. Just in case Dirty didn't, they didn't wait. This is a different type of filth. <laughs> no, busting. Busting's amazing. Uh, it's like a who came first, the chicken or the, or the freebie and the bean sort of <laughs> thing with this one. Um, this is a brilliant movie. And Earl Rath's cinematography, I would have to say, is one of the prime reasons. It is one of the more uniquely shot um, action films. The, 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 the sequence in the open air like mall or whatever you call it the, the, the I guess it's like a um, you know just a shopping area really unusual these low low angle tracking you know, but, but tracking reverse tracking shots like you're it's very strange the whole massive shootout for like 10 minutes 15 minutes scene and it's the most unusually photographed um, action scene uh, and this is Peter Hyams, um, and who had just just had a wonderful um, TV movie, I think P Pursuit mm -hmm. was his. Yeah, and um, he was really hot from that. And he he was a screenwriter before that. Did some uh, uh, some fun stuff, but this movie, um, I remember at least in Long Island, it really it it, it was critically acclaimed. Like this was a hit for mm. you know, and I so you knew about this, and they and the studio pushed this really hard. Uh, I remember going to see Zardoz, and the poster for this was was up, and they had you know, they were they were already pushing for when it was coming. You know, there was you know, gotta go see Bustin's coming, and uh, right next to it was a poster for Castle of Fu Manchu. So I guess that was a re-release. But you know, this is what I'm saying. Movies we were we were treated well back then. I have to say, at, at every year, because you know, films are just being recycled. You know, things that were shot in '68 were still being re-released. On like you said, sometimes under different titles, whatever. But this was a big one, and I remember going to see it, and, and uh, again, it's, it's super, really well cast, really violent, kind of funny, but but not in the way you expected. Like it, it wasn't you you weren't like it wasn't ha ha funny. It was just sort of like you liked the relationships, and Robert Blake's character is really unusually subdued. He allowed himself to just disappear in the background in this one. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's not, it's just not set up the way you think these movies are usually set up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Freebie and the Bean, I'm not sure anymore if it came first or second, but um, it, it's a, a good companion to this. Yeah. And Heinz kind of went to similar territory with Running Scared about a decade later as well. You want to yeah. see him, an 80s twist on the same and he went to, And he's also, he was going to start shooting his own stuff at the same time. So right. he's in the, his own cinematographer too. In a similar vein, we're about to hit Law and Disorder from 1974. Uh, another masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's funny, but it's very uh, un-PC um, for 74. Very uh, uh, more of a more of an urban tragedy. Um, 
so it looks like it could be goofy and and kind of wacky and whatever but there are some very serious uh grim um moments this Will, uh, william richard who mm -hmm. uh, did uh, the ma the absolute masterpiece uh winter kills some years later mm -hmm. and uh, american success company and whatever titles permutations those two films were under <laughs> um he also played the Falstaff character in Gus Van Zandt's My Own Private Idaho. Uh, but he wrote the script for this, um, I think, and Terrence Malick also had his fingers in this as well. Yeah. Um, and it's a really smart, uh, reflective, sad film. It's, uh, there's some, again, great comic pieces, very shocking un-PC uh, comedy, but it's also... Um, surprisingly uh, sad and quite a downer yeah so uh, and only the best way possible yeah. uh, great movie and was this a Palomar yeah Palomar yeah. this is one of the last ones I think right yeah, yeah. of that of that company's um, deals I saw this I had wanted to see it for a long time and I for some reason kept missing it I, I was rated R so my, I was only in fourth grade my dad would have to take me and he was very busy you know kind of the work schedule was late right. so I, I missed my main opportunities but we did get to see it on a, on a like a second run or almost third run double bill with blazing saddles wow and it was perfect because this was <laughs> such a fucking downer that Blazing Saddles was the second feature and we needed it. You know? <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a downer to, to inhibit anyone from thinking it isn't wacky or because it is. You know, Ivan right. Passer yeah. is just, he's a foreign director and he had a more of a, a broad sensibility and he could uh, juggle a lot of those movie swings. And... Now, here is one that, if you have not seen this movie, I don't think you're actually legally allowed to be watching this Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, this, of course, is one of the absolute all-time greatest revenge movies, as well as one of the great uh, post-Vietnam action crime crime films. This, of course, is Rolling Thunder from 1977, probably the greatest role that William Devane ever had. Uh, also featuring, of course, a young Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, how was this received when it came out? Do you remember? It was kind of in the, around the same year as the, you know, the Taxi Driver and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and the Farmer. Yeah, and the Farmer, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, no, they were it, it wasn't. This is one of those movies that, like, word of mouth made it suddenly realize that it was cool, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I saw it opening night, and I remember there was a lot of, it was like, hand, you know, watching it through your fingers because you you just knew there was a lot of atrocity and it was a lot of, you know, uh, it was sort of like the house of Jack, that Jack built of its time. You, know? <laughs> you, you, you were terrified to see it because of what, you know, the losing his arm and all this stuff. It was, it was a tense movie. It was a scary movie. Um, I was in high school, no, junior high school. And I remember Taxi Driver was big um, and we loved Taxi Driver. It was another dark movie, but that didn't get great reviews in our in our in our paper. Yeah, that was like you know all these movies were sort of like morally corrupt or something. They they really didn't appreciate the romanticization of the orgiastic kill and that was the Taxi Driver sort of introduced. Mm -hmm. And this was the same sort of thing. So it wasn't trashed. It was given like two two out of four stars, like a fair review. Right. But you know, I was opening night. Me and my family, we loved it. So it was a, it's a sort of a classic. And Paul Schrader has an excellent script. And John Flynn is one of still one of the most unsung um, crime film directors or action film directors. Yeah, which is weird. 
and yeah. it did such classic after classic. The outfit before mm -hmm. this and uh, um, bestseller. Yeah. And, I mean, there, he's, it's pretty crazy. This has a lot in common with the outfit. Um, it's a you know a, a road revenge film, buddy film, um, you know another orgiastic thing. But it was a for Amer American International was a huge huge hit. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of, their, one of their very best from the seventies. It was like a real high water mark for them. Yep, excellent, excellent film. Speaking of high water marks, here is Mr. Majestic, nineteen seventy four, one of the absolute all time greatest Charles Bronson movies. This is just yeah. a drop dead fantastic film. Alitieri is supreme, <laughs> just supreme in this. And this was uh, a collaboration between Richard Fleischer and my late friend uh, uh, Richard H. Klein, the cinematographer, who mm -hmm. also shot um, Boston Strangler and Soylent Green for Fleischer. Say so they were, uh, they had a, a great camaraderie and friendship and great sharing of ideas. Uh, and it's a really clean, consistent, stylish film. Bronson is really uh, at his laconic best here. Uh, he's almost Jim Davis good in this one. Um, but the, again, great cast and a very, you know, good, just simple plot. Got Paul Coslow making it, you know, giving his blessing. Because Paul Coslow is magic. Yeah. It's um, a lean film, too. It's, I mean, it's a model of like narrative economy as well. It is. And it's really violent without being overly gory. Mm -hmm. I mean, the poor melons get it, <laughs> you know. I mean, but it's, a, a, again, an Elmore Leonard script. Mm -hmm. A great, you know, real, really lean, mean, good movie. Um, and, um, you know, socially, you know, it's, it's a socially relevant as well. So, great Another little classic. Yeah, it was a good one. Very brief trailers. Yeah, really short. Now, jumping ahead a couple of years, we're about to hit Vigilante Force, which is another one that uh, it kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit, except I think TV airings probably helped it stand out a little bit because it, it's gotten shown over and over and over again. But um, this is sort of a, the white buck town. Yeah. You know, it's a the great double feature if you can handle the exact same plot twists again and again and again. Right. But, uh, but this is another. Pretty nasty film. I, I, this is surprisingly nasty for the bicentennial. Yeah, yeah. Um, there aren't very many bicentennial exploitation movies no. out there. Yeah, this, is, this is a rare one, but it's great. And Christopherson is, is fantastic. I, I think this was this right before uh, Star is Born. Like right at the same time. It was, it was yeah. the same time. So he was not expecting Star is Born to catapult him. You know, as far as it did, it really boosted his his career yeah like he's, all of a sudden he was like one of the biggest sex symbols in the country yeah. because of and this that was movie. very subdued i remember this was like this seemed like a like a nothing he like it's called vigilante force but i remember like whenever you saw the ad it was like no, there's not gonna be anything in this movie like the, you just thought it was gonna be nothing mm -hmm. so when i finally saw it it was a shocker it was so mean and cruel and and he was such a prick <laughs> really wonderful movie and George Armitage is just another yet another from this era a excellent director really clever really uh, fun um, smart director and uh, he died again right when his career was coming back again with gross point blank and things mm -hmm. so that was kind of sad um, that you know he, he did uh, Miami Blues which was another you oh, know so good, yeah. I mean what a great movie and, and yet it, it kept that sort of fresh sort of you don't know what to expect this isn't a formula movie feel to it like he was really coming back with such uh, continuing this diverse thing 
And uh, this is a really good place to start. And, and Jan Michael Vincent's, you know, sort of right on the crest of his wave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, no pun intended with Big Wednesday yeah, like, closing it off. But he was yeah. he was almost anonymous in that film. It was it was he, that was not a a great showpiece. I still think I don't know the, what, the story about Big Wednesday, but that this film just seems so like Bernadette. mangled. <laughs> uh, it seems like there's a much bigger film in there that didn't get out, and and this movie feels super tight. Like that was Armitage's thing. It's everything's yeah. super tight. I, I think. Every page of the script must have been filmed and edited and cut into this movie because yeah. it, it, everything works really well and uh, characters' motivations are very surprising. Oh yeah, for sure. So. And uh, of course, you'll recognize Jim Michael Vincent as well from Buster and Billy, which we saw earlier on this comp. Although unlike that film, this one he does not show his penis. So I was sorry. Just gonna say <laughs> <laughs> you don't see Jan's Michael Vincent. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but again, that was a young, a young Bernadette Peters, uh, you know, right before, uh, of course, she had gone to Sunday in the Park with George and make her a Broadway force to be reckoned with a few years after this. Gene Corman. Anything with Gene Corman's name is just as good as anything with Roger Corman's name. So, <laughs> stamp of approval. And speaking of the devil, here is Big Wednesday, 1978. Yeah, I, I love this movie in one way, and I, it's frustrating with another way because it just looks like there's some really circumspect editing going on in this film, and I'm, I can't believe that this is the intended cut. It just seems like there is an hour-plus missing from... The po- like the poetry of this movie just seems pulled out of it. It's very disorganized, very jumpy. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying because I do love it, and I absolutely thought it was a classic when it came out. The Basil Polidori score is astonishing. Everything is. I mean, it's just a really wonderfully constructed film. It just there's sort of the synapse. There's a breakage mm-hmm. between sequences that make it discontinuous and there's so I, i'm betting there's something up with the with the the, the reasoning behind that yeah I, I cannot believe this was the way it was supposed to be intended it seems like something that would have been like a you know in milius's mind this three-hour you know road show epic uh, which i would say it would deserve the treatment because it you know it totally feels like the godfather type of epic you know you have this, these mm-hmm. first second and third acts of very you know, of, of just time passing and, and you have to renegotiate your way into these characters, you know, where they are in their lives. It's a really brilliant um, setup. Um, and for Milius especially, I, I think a really, uh, it's much more revealing than, than he usually, you know, lets on. Yeah. Um, it's not as political. Um, there's, there's no shenanigans in this one. This is a very emotional movie, and it's really well done. Yeah. But um, at the same time, I definitely suspect something up with it. Could be, yeah. And uh, this, of course, started his streak of using Polydorus on pretty much all of his films after this because they were USC buddies. They'd gone yeah. to school at the same time, and so he plucked uh, Polydorus and pretty much made him one of Hollywood's biggest composers until Polydorus' very untimely early death at a very young age from brain cancer. But, um, of course, their, their major masterpiece being Conan the Barbarian, yeah. you know, which, of course, one of the greatest scores of the 1980s. And then, um, of course, Polydorus went on to do things like, you know, Robocop and Flesh and Blood and, um, you know, quickly done under more masterpieces than you can count. But this is kind of... Polydorus and his kind of sort of dreamy, uh, yeah. kind of ethereal mode, but it's a really beautiful score. Some, yeah, it's some really beautiful stuff in this, for sure. Um, and it's a surprisingly emotional movie, because like the last thing I, growing up, what I would have given a shit about would be a three blonde, blue-eyed, you know, scumbags <laughs> <laughs> surfing <laughs> bricks. They're great. It's great characters, good, good script. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and beautiful. Again, it's another scope film. You can't really tell from yeah. here, but it's a really gorgeous looking movie yeah. as well. And wrapping up our big old streak of Jan Michael Vincent movies, yeah. here we go with uh, White Line Fever, 1975, uh, which is another really fun one. And another director, even though he may have been the most successful uh, of any of these directors from that time, no one really knows that because he, he made his success big, big success in TV after this. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, I mean, almost all his films are they're sort of memorable in a really big ways, down from Jonathan Kaplan, from yeah. Trek Turner on. Uh, this, was, this was one of the movies alongside Baby Blue Marine with John Hancock that never went away. I mean, yeah. uh, those were, once the films were released, I think uh, Baby Blue Marine, I believe, came first or around the same time, right? Or pretty much around the same time. Um, it was a little after. Yeah. They, they never left until like 1981. They were always around, um, especially where I grew up. It was always doubled and tripled. And yeah. they, they never left. And, um, but this was, Jen Mike, Michael wrote a, a, a big hide this time, with Bite the Bullet around the same time. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it was a pretty incredible era for him. Um, for, especially for such a difficult, troubled guy, um, he 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 did get some quality stuff in here. But this yeah. is an excellent, excellent film. Kaplan is great. Um, he he has almost a um, a tongue in cheek approach to action, where he he it, it, it's it's sort of kitschy in a way where it gets you back to the drama, and that's what Kaplan's actually really great at. He's, you know, it, the action seems sort of like almost from like the Roger Corman, you know, school of... Yeah, that's where um, Kaplan got his start, anyway. Obligatory action, right? Yeah. But, boy, can he direct drama. And he's really good at it. And, and that's what makes this film particularly memorable, not actually the action stuff. No, it's no slouch in that department, either. Yeah. I love the texture of these. Now we have more young men in trouble. This is Highballin' from 1978. Highballin', which I bought the Ballantine novelization, saw the movie on channel on CBS, <laughs> and then went and saw it the next weekend in the theater <laughs> all in the same week. It was like the strangest thing. It's like, what? You know, that was like so crazy. Like, they'd never thought, heard of something like that before. It was available, you know. Now they do it every day. But yeah, strange movie, too. <laughs> But I love it. I had a big crush on Helen Shaver from this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it a Canadian film? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, obviously. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at the air, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, again, this is, um, this is like really right in the heart of the, uh, you know, the AIP in the 70s, of course, which was a very different beast than AIP in the 60s. You know, they were really going for the gusto as far as like major commercial box office movies go at the time. And they were really PG. There were, a lot of these were PG. They weren't even R. They weren't even trying for like, you know, sexploitation and this shit anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? It was, it was getting weird. Yeah, well, these were movies that like, you know, a dad could take his kids to go, like, you know, yeah. son, let's go see this. You know, it was with those yeah. kind of movies. Yeah, while, while the dad wore his beer hat. Yeah. You know, with the straw that goes in from the hat to the mouth. Of but yeah, these were totally safe movies. 
and it's kind of why I was like losing interest in them as a kid because I was so exposed to the rougher stuff at this point mm -hmm. that you know I had matured early <laughs> so yeah. you knew by the time I hit seventh grade I was like eh, I don't want to see this <laughs> thunder and lightning I don't want to see this right you know that kind of thing but uh you know, but then again, it it it, it is not a an inept movie. It's just yeah. it's just lightweight. Well, and it's all, this one kind of got lost in the shuffle because this was at the heart, the height of the uh, CB craze, where all of a sudden everybody was doing this for about a couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, which we're about to get into again with the next film after this. But uh, by Merle again, when I was like a little kid in school, everybody was like just crazy about CBs and CB uh, yeah. lingo and everything. Ten four, ten four. Yeah, yeah. Big trucker. Yeah, they yeah, got things like handle with care right. and breaker breaker and all that yeah, stuff. Right. You know, breaker breaker <laughs> with all these Jove press novelizations. Yeah, right? like... and of course, I mean, smoking the bandit really just rode that like crazy as well. And then another James Lee Barrett script. Yeah, yeah. smoking the bandit, an unusually funny one for him. He usually his jokes fall like leaden thumps, but I, I think that movie was perfectly negotiated. <laughs> I never consider myself a fan, and then I think back and I go, no, I guess I am a fucking Smoking the Bandit fan. Yeah, it's like, it's weird. You watch it now and you're like, no, this is actually really well done. It's funny yeah, as shit. Yeah, it's really good. You know, I mean, I saw it like 30 times in the theater, and I, keep, I forget, because yeah. I never think that's my bag. And, and then I go, no, I, no, this is yeah, solid. It's, it's kind of great. It's yeah. really great, yeah. Now, this is probably, I think, probably the most divisive Sam Peckinpah movie. This I one gets it's fine. This one gets more shit than just about any other Peckinpah because film. Because they know he was coked out of his head and refused to come out of his trailer, and James Coburn directed the whole thing, and it was fine. <laughs> 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 that was the stories. That's why. But enough of him is in it, mm -hmm. and certainly Coburn was always, you know, adept to jump in, and, and do, he did it for Gordon Douglas on In Like Flint, too. Uh, so, you know... Um, but this was a, a, div a divisive movie for Peckinpah, let alone the critics and the fans. Mm. I mean, he lost every friend he ever had on this movie, yeah. you know. But um, like people really hate this I, movie with I a passion sometimes. I mean, it's I know. I mean, I, I love, but they hated Cross of Iron. Cross of Iron was worse reviewed. Mm. I remember seeing a slew of one star, one and a half star reviews for Cross of Iron. This movie had two. So went to see it. I had no problem. I enjoyed it. I, I knew the movie. I knew his other movies, so I understood the. I got the the satiric gags, but it was also mm -hmm. the whole thing with Franklin and Jay. It's fantastic. It's actually very dramatic, and um, so you know, it, it, it's sort of like his his the gauntlet. You yeah. know, it's a, a, almost like a a satire or whatever as close as he could get to an obvious cartoonish satire of his previous films, um, but whether or not. He directed all of it, and it was all because of him. You know, that's where it becomes problematic because yeah. history says otherwise. So, um, it's still an interesting movie. It is no disaster. Um, put down your Leonard, just burn your Leonard Malton yeah. guides. You know, he's a very nice guy. I appreciate what he did for me growing up, but you know, time to move on and get your own opinions. It's like that. I just don't, I don't prescribe by them at all. So, uh, this movie's again. I I think uh, I think we both feel like this is a, a, a much better movie than than people want to admit to. And this is also another PG that would never be a PG these oh, days. No, no. Um, I remember they used to run this on HBO constantly in the <laughs> yes. early 80s, and oh, right. every single time, like, my mom would be walking through the room, I'd flip it over, and it would be always be the scene, the shot from Combo where she pops her top off in the back yeah. of the truck. Like, it was always, like, in the middle of the afternoon at 2 p.m. <laughs> it's like... Isn't there a mooning sequence that yeah. was actually edited for a while? Yeah. It was, it was cut out on some of the... Uh, 
on some of the Studio Canal uh, releases, and then fi- I think I finally had to get like a yeah, they eventually put it back in, yeah, blue, uh, yeah, I think like a French or a German a DVD finally had it, or a Dutch DVD finally had the the mood, the tush, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's whenever I think of con- this and like Barbarella were the ones where they were so hazardous. Whenever they'd be on cable TV, you had to be careful flipping channels because I swear it was, it was perfectly timed, no matter what. <laughs> it was always you'd be going through. Hey, look, boobs. You know? <laughs> There's the rubber duck. <laughs> yeah, I have I have fond memories of this thing. Yeah, but again, I mean, this was also at the height of like CB and trucker culture. I kind of remember yeah. they, they used a totally a new recording of the yeah, the, and that kind of bummed me out. I yeah. remember I didn't know why they had to do that, but I guess they had to do it for timing purposes. Yeah, but um, Madison Sinclair, Madge Sinclair, and Franklin Edger—they're yeah. great in this, and he's great in this. Mm-hmm. But I know he was really pissed. I, I think that this was the end of his relationship with Peck and Pa. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, produced by Robert Sherman. Good movie. And again, also get another scope one. You can't really tell from here. Really, really nice uh, scope photography in this one, too. Yep. Uh, Great movie. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and, and for people to go, it's so unusual for Cronenberg to do... No, it's not. It ex- covers exactly the same themes. Yeah. I mean, it literally is almost body horror. It, it, the metaphors are so thick. I mean, so if anyone has a worry about this not, because it's not a horror movie, uh, that it's not going to be a amazingly satisfying, if not addictive, Cronenberg movie, if you are a Cronenberg fan... Again, toss out those reviews. This, it's a hundred percent great Cronenberg uh, movie. Totally fits thematically. It's great. You're gonna love it. And it's a precursor to Crash. Absolutely, great movie. Yep. Great cast. You want to win? You can't stand still. Starring William Smith, Claudia Jennings, and John Saxon. Fast Company. William Friedkin directed the Friedkin. Now this, of course, is one of the great art house action films of the 1970s. Uh, very, very heavily influenced by European films. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what more can you possibly say about this one? <laughs> um, run, do not walk to this film, yeah. if you can. Uh, I hazard recommending the current Blu-ray in existence because... Mr. Genius, who is one of my favorite directors, but he's a clunk. He went back and he tinkered with the very last beat of this movie, which to me was one of the greatest last beats of 1970s cinema. And he added a sound effect. And it, to me, destroys everything that you've been sitting, the power of everything you've been sitting through for two hours plus. And um, I was there opening day thinking it was going to be a horror movie. You know, it was called everybody else. There was absolutely no reviews yet. I didn't know what it was about. And it was, um, and I was really happy to to find out that this was just, it was just another amazing film on its own. It was, a, you know, it's a remake of Clouseau's uh, The Wages of Fear, and it, it does it's totally on its own, it's equal in in 
weight, you know, it's, it's totally equal. There's two different, they're two totally different approaches to the same material and they're both great. Yeah. And uh, one does not take away from the other. But he, uh, this really is, this really is his masterpiece. It, it's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, but it's a difficult one. I mean, if you're walking in unprepared, it's not because especially the first hour is just very jarring because it's, you're jumping around to all these characters through the setup. Which you know, I gotta say, I saw it in seventh grade. We didn't, we weren't confused. No, but a lot I, of people were though. I mean, a lot of people got caught off guard by it. Seriously. Which I think, yeah, yeah, that's the never challenge knew about of it. That. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, no, never knew about that. Because if you that, see, that you see, oh, the dude at French Connection Exorcist, and you walk in, you think you're going to get something linear like that, and this really isn't. I mean, it is. Well, it, no, Exorcist begins the same way. You don't know where the fuck you are. It's in Iraq, and then yeah, but not for an hour though. It's in yeah, yeah, I mean. This pushes it to an extreme. I mean, it really does. It's it's a it's a brilliant film. It's a perfect film. But if went, but the way that it was marketed, it said was you know from Friedkin, Sorcerer, da da da. You walk in and it's like, what? Right. So yeah, I never had that. I never had that before. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess it makes sense, but I just never experienced it. Um, we saw this like tons of times. It was so horribly violent. I mean, this was definitely this definitely should have been an R-rated movie without any hesitation. I mean, there's the language. He says fuck. The the burnings and everything mm-hmm. really frightening but again fantastic script by Waylon Green to Breath of the Wild Bunch and again PG <laughs> PG and a great Tangerine Dream score oh classic that's such a great movie but you know watch the DVD instead now this yeah another box lunch <laughs> it's front insurance investigation is business stealing cars and then well they yeah. really hold off I, this is interesting I was trying to see they really hold off um, saying what this is yeah now this is interesting for a trailer that to, to it's like they're keeping the title as a punch as like a punchline to it <laughs> and I'm not going to give it Just away car chase car chase car chase car chase yeah I, I, I love I love this director I just <laughs> again has anybody heard of him except for a few, you know, shock cinema addicts? Yeah. I, I'm seriously saddened because all this guy's profit came after he was dead. Yeah. But look at this. And they're really, <laughs> look, there's no text on screen. This is fascinating to me. This is very rare. You don't really see this an awful lot, do you? I'm not sure. They really want to get you into the purely exploitative aspects of this the, the cars the, the the chases the destruction the money the coke and Haliki's hair <laughs> but they're they, they they actually they know this film is iconic already by doing this by saving that title for the very very end and that last few minutes is just apocalyptic it's one yeah. of the best films of the 70s not to be confused with the remake <laughs> not not any not at all. So now here is Corky from 1972. I love this movie, yeah. uh, which again it's it's uh, one of the more obscure movies uh, out of this particular car chase batch. Uh, you know, again it's one that's gotten kind of buried a bit uh, for some reason. But you know, where it's gone, 60 seconds, of course, is iconic and other things like Vanishing Point and all that. But yeah, Corky is you know it's a it's a full on you know uh, car racing movie. And it's a, it's kind of a cute one actually. It's great. Yeah, and it's very upbeat. It's it's, it's cool. It was a cool movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, yeah. is this an MGM? Yeah, I think so. I think I think I saw this on like oh, this is a little later. I think I saw it like around '74 with uh, actually with Cops and Robbers. 
which was, I think, United Artists, but I don't know who owned it. Yeah, Cosmo Records was UA, yeah. So this might have been United Artists, too. I'm not sure. But it, this is a great movie. And now, I, I actually have to say, a terrible trailer, because I think they're trying to make it look like it's not what it, unfortunately, it is. And this is about all the car footage in the movie. Yeah, yeah, again, this is more of a character study it's film. It's a character study, and it's awesome. It's a, he's brilliant in it. I mean, Blake is great, and so is Patrick O'Neill, who this was sort of the end of his popularity being cast in things. Yeah, he was for a while there, but it sort of petered out at this point. Uh, but what an oddball cast and a beautiful visual, visual aesthetic, and it's just a fun movie. And he's, he's great in it. It's a great movie. Corky. Wow. And un unlike Vanishing Point, you actually do get to see Charlotte Rampling in this one. So. Yes. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Once you see the true. European version, of course. And Christopher Connolly, right? Yeah. Who replaced, <laughs> took over in the TV series of Paper Moon. For, <laughs> he was the, the TV Ryan O'Neill. He almost, he's like a cross between Ryan O'Neill and, uh, um, here I go again, my Alzheimer's. Um, Almost like Christopher George in a way. Star 80. Who's that guy? Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts. Yeah. He's a mixture between Ryan O'Neill and Eric Roberts. <laughs> yeah, he's got that shark smile. Yeah. That peel back your lips. As you <laughs> but he's great. Great movie. Corky. I don't know how. I don't even know how to recommend seeing that one. Is that around? I don't, I don't know think if it's so. Streaming yeah. or something? Check yeah. streaming. You never know. One. Now here you go. Right here. Oh yeah. Oh boy. The now, big guns. It's Walter Hill time. It's just, this is. <laughs> This is just, uh, I could see how this could be anybody's favorite Walter Hill, but then there's so many Walter Hills that I could see being everybody's favorite. Just Walter say they're all your favorites, yeah. Um, but this one, he even pushed himself beyond, you know, his comfort zone. I mean, he really got European. In At this least one. for now, do like Melville in this one, basically. Yeah. This and is, yeah. pretty much succeeding. It's, 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 it's up there. It's really awesome. Yeah, they're all great. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even, uh, you know, this, the, the, the reputation precedes itself on this one. Yeah. Um, this was a cool time, too, because I remember I was really sick. I was out of school for a long time. It was like in late 78, I think, mm -hmm. like around this yeah. time, like October, autumn of 78. And my dad wanted, felt bad for me, so he, he kept taking me out. And we saw The Driver, The Medusa Touch, there was one more. I can't remember what it was. It was just these, oh, fingers. That was the other oh, one. Wow. They were all out at the same time, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was like a, a dream come true. The Driver's perfect action film. Wow, it's so good. Also has a little Joey Walsh from uh, mm -hmm. uh, that wonderful uh, Kirk Douglas, uh, Edward Dimitrick film from the 40s. And uh, California Split. Now, here's some more Walter Hill. Of course, probably his most famous film now, I think. This has gone beyond cult status. This is, yeah. uh, you know, just one of the all-time most you know, popular 70s films now. Uh, it's, of course, is The Warriors, uh, which, if you can, avoid the director's cut like the plague. See the theatrical. <laughs> Please see the theatrical. Please see the theatrical <laughs> first, yes. If it starts off with comic book nonsense, yeah. turn it off. Go find the theatrical cut instead. Please. Um, There's no reason. Because this is an absolutely perfect film. Uh, every single frame of it is wonderful. It's also one of the great New York City movies. Yeah. Andrew Laszlo doing a shocking job on uh, cinematography, groundbreaking mm -hmm. yeah. location work. 
um, his location lighting. Literally, he wrote the <laughs> literally wrote the book on this new style of location lighting, and it was not comfortable, not fun, but. It was great. What was really funny is that back then we were terrified to see this, you know, as kids. That was in ninth grade. Oh, so yeah. Well, yeah. There was, we were terrified. We heard there was violence in the theaters. And, and then finally it came local and we went to see it. And, and it was kind of fey. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, thing, like, a lot of it was media fabricated. They wanted, to, they wanted yeah. there to be the scare about it. Even, like to, even now we with were. Joker, they're pulling it the worked. same nonsense where they're trying to get people scared to go see the movie. That, oh, it's no. A, no, it's it totally a, worked. It's a dangerous we were, movie. You no, know. We were terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we were terrified. But yeah, they were like, no, no, this is yeah, this is a total fantasy film, yeah. basically. It's <laughs> but yeah, it really says something that a film of this vintage, it's still to this day, you see people dressed up in Halloween costumes from it all the time. Uh, yeah. This and Clockwork Orange, like they just yeah. will not die. You know, they're like yeah. the great gang movies. Yeah. Seventy eight. Seventy eight. But it yeah. was released in seventy nine, right? Or late seventy eight? I think it was the end of seventy eight. Yeah. Okay. Right. I think I'm remembering seeing it in like February or March already of of, of seventy nine, but yeah. it was probably released earlier. Well it may have gone maybe it went super wide in seventy nine, yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah, in seventy nine, yeah. Who the hell knows? Anyway, so my here of course is Hickey and Boggs, which is one um, of the most depressing films yeah. I've ever seen in my life. The ending is <laughs> horrifying. The end title sequence. The whole movie's depressing. But the end title sequence is just, literally is apocalyptic. It's just horrifying and sad. And, and the song will put you into a coma. It's so depressing, that song. But great action film, great Walter Hill script. Played out sort of like a mis you know, one of those TV mysteries. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a shame. <clears throat> but again, what was curious about this was the incredible uh, suppressed homosexual subtext mm -hmm. in this thing. And Culp and Cosby did not condescend to that. And they really, um, I think they, they just, they nurtured that, that proximity, that relationship. <coughs> Very, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. But and, I, and, I spy this ain't, though. No. <laughs> and there's Bill Hickman. Crazy Bill Hickman. Great movie, yeah. but again, very depressing, shockingly depressing. And again, I have no idea how this got to be PG. Personally, I, I think a lot of this stuff was just—it was just really brutal. Yeah. Uh, maybe, no, maybe there is. Maybe, maybe it does pass muster, but um, it's just so hor horribly violent. As you and can not see. Like, but not even like this. I don't want to give stuff away, but there's there's bits in this movie that are just kind of hard. It's really disturbing. Where other movies like this don't don't even try to be disturbing, why they had to go this, you know, um, it, it's it's a, a unique film, and I remember this was everywhere. This played at every drive-in. This played everywhere. This was yeah, it was huge. But the weird thing is, it vanished for about a decade after that. Like it just yeah. it, did it ever even hit VHS in any form? I don't even think it did. It, it barely showed up on TV. It was a really hard film to yeah. see for a long time, and then it suddenly had this big renaissance out out of the blue all of a sudden. Of course, now with having Cosby in the movie, now it might vanish again, unfortunately. Right. But, you know. Yep. Oh, well. I love the movie, not the man. So. Yeah, great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, written by Walter Hill. Not screenplay by Walter Hill. Yeah. This. It's written by. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So now here... Um, 
We're about to jump into uh, something that anyone who knows me personally knows that I am a raging fan of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill movies. From the Trinity, of course, uh, the two Trinity films being their biggest hits in the U.S. After that, they kept uh, <laughs> keeping them going for a long time, but uh, they are the masters of the slapstick fistfight scene and just a ton of fun. This is part of their kind of on and off cycle of Miami, Florida films. It was really big in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s for Italians to shoot in places like Georgia and Florida because they got a really good tax break and they had um, basically free reign with all the local talent. So there's this really bizarre strain of Miami Terrence Hill, Bud Spencer movies. You also have Miami Super Cops, which was their big Miami Vice exploitation movie that they made. Rips off the whole opening credits completely, but it's a lot of fun. And of course, the biggest one of these was actually when Terrence Hill went solo for Super yeah, Super yeah, Fuzz. Okay. Yeah, I think it's one of the all-time great, just bizarre Miami action films. But this was part of a long stream of films that they made uh, with um, E.B. Clutcher is the way these credit at the end of this trailer. But of course, that's actually Enzo Barboni. Uh, the original Italian title is "I Due Super Piedi Quasi Piatti," but. Crime Buster sounds a lot cooler. Thousand smoky bears. Ain't that a pretty sight? Can cause them. Oh, sometimes they're not the brightest, but they get the job done. <laughs> and, uh, I think it was just, it was obligatory. They would have to have all this Miami kind of travelogue footage. You'll notice in a lot of them, they go to like SeaWorld and places like that. They have to show off just to justify the fact that they're shooting there, which is fun. Of course, the interiors were usually done back in Italy, but you'll see them walking around the streets a lot. There's a lot of like shots like Miami docks and alleys, and it, it's really strange. Aww. You start seeing the same things all over again. Uh, but there's really nothing like a good Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill fight scene. You see it a lot in this one. It's really great. And a super infectious uh, Guido Maurizio D'Angelo oh, yeah. score, of course, with, uh, that you can't get out of your head. Uh, but this was kind of getting near the end of the stretch. Again, Superfuzz was kind of the last real hurrah, and after that, it got really hard to see their stuff in the theater in the U.S. It, the, the, the trend had pretty much petered out by that point. It was all like, you know, hotels at yeah. that point. Again, mm -hmm. the, the wonderful opportunities you could receive on the, the closed circuit. And we're going to keep the uh, Euro thing going here with something very different. And earlier, that's uh, we're about to hit uh, Zorro, which also has another great DeAngelis Brothers score, probably their most famous theme song from this per particular period, I think. Also, doesn't hurt that uh, Wes Anderson wound up using it in Bottle Rocket very prominently. So it's a song and that will never die. And this is also Duccio Tassari again. Yep, yep, Tassari. Uh, of course, this is a French-Italian co-production, which is why you have Alain Delon playing Zorro. Who seems to really enjoy being in this. He's, yeah. he's really excellent in that. Yeah. And he had shown a very good comic abilities in the 60s when he tried to come over to America. Uh, and uh, he did a, a really wonderful Michael Gordon uh, com comedy western called Texas Across the River. Yeah. Uh, and if you're a Delane uh, Delon fan, you should really check that out because that is hilarious. And and it definitely he's you know he's trying to fit into that sort of mode again, um, sort of slapsticky but um, you know but adventure at the same time. It's, he's but he seems to be having a good time. He doesn't sacrifice it. He doesn't condescend to it at all. So, and you can find some good Blu-rays of this out there. Actually, there's it's, there, it, the, it, it exists in a, a very nice, much nicer looking version than this. Yeah. But um, although some of them are cut, so be careful. Uh, the English, ooh, the English versions, yeah. a lot of those are trimmed down pretty heavily, especially if you get like there are a lot of public domain DVDs that suck. So um, yeah. yeah, be wary. Oh, I have like a German Blu-ray, which looks I think it's German. It looks pretty nice. Yeah. The yeah, this, treat things nice. Yeah, this is a new one though, and uh, you know it was a pretty solid attempt to revamp Zorro. You know they tried a few times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what a title card there. 
that's great. Allied artists, wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's it for Europe. Now we're going to jump over to Asia. And uh, this is Triple Irons from 1971, better known as the new one-armed swordsman. Uh, this is the English dub version that was released by National General Pictures. And this is actually the, the third of the four-film series of the one-armed swordsman movies, which were huge. And they were um, originally from uh, Shaw Brothers, of course. Now they're owned by Celestial, and they're all out in really nice editions right now. But it is weird that this really makes no attempt to connect it to the other movies whatsoever. Uh, of course, this is by uh, Chang Che, who's one of the great uh, all-time Hong Kong action directors. But, uh, you know, this kind of just feels like your average generic uh, kung fu movie from this trailer. I don't think you really get much of a feel for how special it is, even though it's, it's neat to see it under this title, though, uh, because good luck finding a print that actually says triple iron on it. It's not going to happen. Hmm. But these things were, I mean, these things played for years and years. They could keep programming them back in into uh, double, triple features all over, all over the place. I mean, uh, well, I guess, guess you would have been in New York when this came out, right? Yeah, and I, 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 at this point, I lost track of this series or what it was or if I knew you know I this I did not see uh, in the theater although it played I, I know it played yeah um, now, David, David for a Chang, long time. Of course, yeah. now I'm also I'm, I'm assuming that this is possibly not quite two-thirds of the actual screen that we're looking at here this yeah is crossed this is cropped on the top and the bottom too yeah you tell this is like zoomed in pretty yeah. tight for the trailer and actually, that could happen when you saw these in the theater. Sometimes, if the distributor was super cheap, they would actually strike flat prints of some wow. movies that were scoped, and so you wind up with this weird kind of Gosh. pan and scan effect where they would just lock it dead center. Oh my God! Assuming that your theater was even equipped for scope in the first place, because sometimes some drive-ins didn't even bother showing the full scope anyway. So be out of luck. Uh, but yeah, so Kung Fu movies were kind of a crapshoot because again, almost all of them were, were shot in scope at the time. Triple irons. <laughs> There's National oh, General yeah. Pictures yeah, release. I love everything. Everything by them scarred my mind. <laughs> Good stuff. And here's some more data, Chang. This is uh, Five Masters of Death from 1974. Uh, this is also another Chang Che film. Uh, this is actually the English uh, dub trailer, I believe, was created by World Northall, who was they were kind of a yeah. specialist in kung fu movies for a while. Yeah. Uh, but they, they did everything. They went. They even did the children, and they did uh, bad timing. Yeah, bad timing. I think was like near the end of the stretch. Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Rose. Yeah, if you want to see an absolutely psychotic uh, yeah. a, a slate of, of releases, look at World Northall. Yeah, that's how they did. Uh, but and, and there are a lot. I actually didn't know there was as many. I think uh, you know, talking to the, the 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 brain of this whole <laughs> cinema planet, Chris Jolly, the really. Mm -hmm put a lot in perspective for me that I didn't realize that they actually have multitudes of classics <laughs> that yeah. they distributed. Thank goodness for World Northall. Um, and I, I have a whole collection of ads by them. I used to rip out of Variety when I was, you know, in junior high, high school. Even, probably when I say, I even probably used to get it in elementary school too. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> Variety was fun for me. Yeah. Five Masters of Death, yes. Mm -hmm. Never stopped playing. Not to be confused with Five Fingers of Death, of course. Yeah, that never stopped playing either. In fact, I <laughs> bet you they both played together, making ten fingers. <laughs> but yeah, I also love you. For some reason, I always loved the uh, World Northall logo at the beginning of their posts. Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't know, there's something about that. It's so dark, and you hear that music come up, and it's like, oh, nice. <laughs> I always thought New World stole from them. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Yeah, whichever came first. 
But yeah, I guess maybe they got into it maybe because it was all these martial arts homes were really cheap to pick up. But yeah, they really went on a spending spree with these for a little while. I remember because especially if you'd watch like, kung fu movies on like you know Sunday afternoon TV, you'd, sure. all, you'd see all these like super stretched and squeezed prints. But a lot of like half of them would have the the, the World North All logo at the very beginning pop up. And like about a jillion different titling, so you never really knew what the movie was that you were watching. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to either. You didn't care. Yeah, it didn't matter. As long as it was on. <laughs> yep, there you go. Oh, yep. <laughs> Love you, Shaw Brothers. Yeah. Thank you for a good childhood. Okay. Yes. Now, yeah, so here, this is um, one of the great HBO classics. Yes. I don't think this stopped running from about <laughs> 1979 until yeah. 82. This had to be running at least four or yeah. five times a year minimum. Afternoons and late nights. Yeah. Uh, but this, of course, is Killer Be Killed yeah. from 1976, which, of course, had a sequel, Kill and Kill Again. Uh, this was part of a very short burst of South African action films. Not too many of those that actually became big in the U.S., but this one was actually a pretty substantial hit. Uh, didn't hurt that it was actually handled originally by uh, Film Ventures International, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the more notorious um, outfits in film history because uh, its president wound up basically stealing all their money and fleeing the country right. and leaving them high and dry after the famous lawsuit over Great White, which Universal had blocked, and they wound up losing a ton of money all of a sudden, mm -hmm. and he just packed up and jetted out of there. But of course, this is James Ryan, who they were kind of trying to uh, market as, I, I don't know exactly what, because he, <laughs> he's, he's sort of like the, because Chuck Norris hadn't really fully kicked in as Chuck Norris yet, no. so he was kind of in between Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he's, he's actually a lot of fun to watch in both of these films. I've, it's actually harder to see this one now than Kill and Kill Again, which is really <laughs> widely available. But this one seems to have fallen through the cracks. But yeah, there you go, Film Ventures International. Uh, but they were uh, they were on quite the street. Uh, Was for a while this there. a Paragon tape, a VHS? Yeah, it's Paragon or Media. I think it was. Okay. I think it was Media. Yeah. Okay. Close. But yeah, I think this one and um, They Call Me Bruce were like. Uh, you know, they they always seem to pop up on cable. Uh, at least when I was in school, like I you, miss I miss Johnny Yoon. Yeah. But yeah, it's fun stuff. I mean, it's, it's this would play well with something like you know the Octagon movies like that. You know, right. they have kind of a similar vibe to them. Since that's not Auden's collection, so we should touch on that. But yeah, the, these these movies are all just kind of belong together in that same kind of mindset. But really, really fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good trailer. Yeah. And so now back to uh, ah. <laughs> back to Asia. This is a Japanese film, and um, this trailer is kind of confusing because they can't seem to quite make up their mind what the title of this movie is. <laughs> it, says, <laughs> it says Steel Edge of Revenge, but then you'll hear they'll, they'll also say Steel Edge of Vengeance. Uh, but this is actually 1969's Goyoken, which is the Hideo Gosha film, uh, which was originally made by Toho and picked up in America. Uh, by Kelly Jordan Enterprises, who was kind of another short-lived drive-in exploitation action outfit, but it didn't actually hit theaters. And I think believe this trailer is from 1974. I think. Wow. Yeah. That's, well, it's like six years. That's, or a, that's, a, that's a pretty long gap. Yeah. yeah. A, this was this gap. was actually remade the af at 75 by uh, Tom Laughlin, mm -hmm. Billy Jack as the master gunfighter, mm -hmm. and it's very faithful to this. And again, that's another one that is notoriously gets a bomb rating, but it no way should get even close to that. It's a, a, a beautifully stylish, you know, uh, definitely a good tribute to the original film. And this is Hideo Gosha, who this was a movie that he had like two or three other films like the same year or in the same without stopping. 
production. He would just go from one to the next. And they were all of this mind-boggling quality. Um, and this is a, a pretty much a classic. Um, I mean, it's a, a wonderful, um, playful, stylized, you know, very stylish um, and kind of fucked up um, fucked up film. Yeah, I mean, it's actually like a really impressive epic film, which they, they try to sell it as a sort of a generic martial arts movie here, yeah. but you can even sort of see between the cracks with shots like you just saw there that it actually is a really beautifully mounted film. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, was a, it was a pretty big deal when it came out. So now here, of course, we had to have uh, a movie with the title Dragon in it. Uh, actually, we get a, we get a couple <laughs> of them here in succession. I was worried. Yeah. <laughs> you knew it had to happen at some point. I was nervous. Uh, so, of course, uh, the success of Into the Dragon meant that uh, pretty much any martial arts movie that came out about two years after that had to have some sort of dragon connection. This one actually preceded it. This is a 1971 film, but this is Blood of the Dragon uh, featuring uh, Wang Yu, or Jimmy Wang Yu is actually his, his more common name, who is probably most famous for starting Master of the Flying Guillotine, I believe. Yeah. Uh, that was his big crossover hit internationally. Uh, but as you can see, again, this is another one that, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty, you know, decently budgeted, pretty high class martial, martial arts film, at least in, in uh, Hong Kong. But um, over here, pretty much got tossed away as, you know, pretty generic programming fodder. Um, but at least, again, you are seeing it in scope, so you can at least get the idea um, versus how it normally looked on TV. But, uh, yeah. This used to be, I think there was like a Canadian DVD company, Platinum. I think they, this was a big... This was big for them. They, mm -hmm. they, this was in every, you know, the whiz <laughs> record stay in the video section. This was in the cutout, you know, the, the mm -hmm. cutout bins for DVDs. They would always have the platinum version of this, and uh, it looked even worse than yeah. this trailer. <laughs> but was that even even letterboxed? I don't remember. I think it was. was, it? was it very, I yeah. don't remember if it was Probably like four by three letterbox yeah. or something. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long it might time. Might have been actually. I don't want to. I don't want to badmouth that, but it's it's possible. Well, uh, you can pretty much badmouth platinum releases. That's okay. They're, they're <laughs> the awful. Howard experiment. <laughs> yeah. I know it was like a TV print. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, half the time they were, they were chopped no up prints. Yeah. at all. It was very <laughs> shocking. That, that's, that's what was shocking about that one. <laughs> no nudity. So it was like 15 minutes long. And completely pointless. Yeah. That's the dragon eating its own tail. Right. Oh, look, the young oh, dragon. Young and this dragon. trailer, this is a really funny trailer. Make sure you listen to the voiceover on this one because this is part of that wave of Bruce Lee exploitation. This is one of the later ones. This is uh, 1979 uh, release. And they're saying the tagline of this is Bruce is back in his first film at the age of 18, which mm -hmm. is like, Hello. what? <laughs> you know? So, like, <laughs> get a hernia trying to figure out what the hell they're trying to tell you. Right. Um, so yeah, good luck parsing it. But uh, again, there was there was just this absolute avalanche of, of Bruce Lee exploitation movies after his death, where they tried to get all these imitators, uh, you know, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lai, yada yada yada. <laughs> and um, this was a Mid America releasing uh, title uh, of a very short-lived outfit as well. And they're really doing their damnedest to pass this off as a Bruce Lee movie. I mean, just look at the pants for God's sake. They're making him do the little woo. Yeah, he's, doing the, yeah, he's making the noises, doing face. the moves. That yeah, all of it. Um, it's just, it's just totally absurd by this and the point. Wig. Look at yeah. this wig. Yeah, it's literally a Halloween wig. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Unless that's you know that's got to be a wig. Yeah. So the you know again they're trying to make you think this was what like an early Bruce Lee film before yeah. the Chinese Connection or something, but it's yeah. yeah I don't think anybody fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Van Clyffe. <laughs> 
and Charles Bonet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I just think these shameless trailers like this are just are Bolo? kind of a joy. Yeah. Bolo Jung. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, this is really something else. But I'm engrossed. Like I do want to. I would. I would watch this. Oh know. yeah, yeah. It's totally fun. But yeah, there's just something about all the Bruce Lee imitators. It was just confusing because again, when I was a little kid, they would all be on TV sort of back to back to back, and I would just, I, you know, you couldn't understand. And then of course, then you throw Game of Death in there, and you get really confused because then it is a real Bruce Lee movie, but right, it's not. Exactly. And so it just really scrambles your brain trying to figure out what you're watching when all these movies start hitting at once. Of course, the most notorious one probably being Bruce Lee fights back from the grave. I was just going to say that. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Uh, which, yeah, if you've never seen that one, you really should. It has one of those priceless opening sequences of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Carving grooves in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> totally new. That's great. <laughs> of course, the nunchucks there would have gotten the censored in the UK when this came out. That's right. It was illegal. Which is like, I still don't really understand that, but whatever. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm mesmerized. Ha! <laughs> oh. That was a move. That was from Five Fingers of Death. Yep. That was a total steal. <laughs> oh boy. Here we go. So now here we're coming to uh, one of the great female action stars to come out of Hong Kong. This is Angela Mao, starring Deadly China Doll, 1973. And this is actually a trailer that you may have seen in other collections. This one's been around for a while because this is a real kicker of a trailer. It's a really fun one. Uh, but it's pretty much a guaranteed seal of quality, I think, when you see Angela Mao's name on a movie that it's yeah. probably going to be worth watching. Um, she's always really, really fun. Um, I thought she didn't really become a superstar. I don't know if there was some kind of weird sexism at play, but, I mean, she could absolutely fight with the best of them. <laughs> and really fun. Yeah, I was gonna say she's she is she is spunky. Yeah. <laughs> but there weren't too many. Uh, it was it was it seemed to be a lot harder when they would try to sell women for movies like these. Even the Sister Street Fighter, you know, films, uh, you know, which are, are an absolute blast to watch. But you know, they just didn't quite get the traction that the male yeah. counterparts did, which is a shame. Uh, of course, nowadays it's you know it's really common to have act you know females headlining action movies. Nobody right. bats an eye. But at the time, it was a really tough sell. I don't know if it's because maybe. Uh, if it was that domestically the market wouldn't sustain it or if the, you know selling them overseas like in America maybe guys wouldn't turn out to see female action movies as much I don't know do, do you remember any reactions to the stuff when they came out was that an issue no you know no I mean, if anything mm -hmm. I'm, I was the opposite I'd be like oh sister street but yeah. I think that would get me you know why not I mean no I, not that I remember I didn't I, I wasn't aware of any hierarchy of you know caste system of whether this is better than the you know more in desire than the other no nah, I have no idea <laughs> and, and when and to me when all this was released it was released like a big spritz yeah um, there were always martial arts films playing at yeah. some point around again there was no prestige attached that came main in like the 80s you know 80s or, or 90s there was like this sort of retro prestige attached to them so you know people will you know especially the british you know fanzines and stuff uh, they were starting to to recognize them as uh, uh, they're, they're, in fact, um, great director Mark Savage, who um, uh, wrote uh, his own 
Chinatown beat column for uh, Fatal Visions magazine, fantastic fanzine. Mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the first people that I remember fetishizing on these and romanticizing the, the, the talent involved. Uh, so that was much later. But when in, in release, nah, it, they were just, let's fill the, fill, pack the cinemas with these movies. Yeah. And plus, those films didn't really exploit sex appeal very much, which might have been an issue as opposed to like Foxy Brown or something. Right. But now something like Wildcat Women, as you can see, really does exploit sex appeal. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Uh, which is kind <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. And it's popping in, right into your lap yep. in 3D. Uh, and if you know your female porn stars, you might recognize a few faces popping up in here as well. Uh, this, this is part of a kind of short-lived wave of softcore 3D movies. Not a ton, even a few hardcore ones, actually. But you know, you know, you know things like Sexcalibur, for example, uh, that were in 3D, which I, you know, again, I was way too young, obviously, but I would imagine seeing that theatrically when it first came out had to be quite the Eager experience. Eager Beavers. Yeah, Eager Beavers, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, but this, this is a, just a great... Great trailer. <laughs> yeah, well, it, is, it is a good trailer. Good shape, too. Yeah. All right, so here we have The Abductors from 1972, oh, which is I the middle it. film in an astounding trilogy <laughs> starring uh, Cherry Kafara, which started off with Ginger yes. the year before this, and it concluded um, later the same, uh, excuse me, in the 73 with the Girls Are For Loving. But, um, yeah, really, how would you describe these? Sort of like mainstream kink, I guess? Yeah, I mean, this is like one inch away from porn yeah uh, but but at the same time it's like it's like a much filthier version of andy sedaris before andy sedaris yes. was even a thing i guess yes um, but there's always like i love don shane i love don shane movies yeah. i do I, he he wasn't stupid she wasn't stupid they they really came they really delivered a unique item and and i can see why I can see why this went into a series and how you know how they could exploit it and, and popularity because James Bond was big mm -hmm. and and like you see this is why I think on a certain circuit you flip it to a female character and you're promising something a little bit headier. These movies were rated X. Uh, these weren't R, I don't think, or at least Ginger was X. Um, well, and Ginger wound up getting cut down, I believe. They, but I remember yeah. initially they were yeah. X. Yeah. Were all of them were, weren't they? I think they all were. I think, well, I know Girls Were For Loving was an R, but like in Ginger, I know, because they had some of the Casey Donovan big scene got trimmed down a lot. He's another Rushmire actor. He's, he's been in Rushmire. I mean, this, they, they, they had good, you know, Z movie actors for here. And it was rough, and you had full frontal nudity. I yeah. mean, you know. And like really sleazy nudity. I mean, Very. Like, yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of bondage, a lot of but, torture, yeah. But well-directed, well-edited. They yeah. were very nicely paced and punchy. They didn't renege on their promises. And I, I you have to, I really, you know, <laughs> it, it's done, yeah. I mean, it, it was done in a very, a, a really evocative way. Um, and and, they're, and they become more and more appealing because <laughs> they look better and better as time goes by. The, the quality of the transfers you get, you know, was probably pr well-preserved prints to begin with. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you could do a 4K scan of this now and go, you know, this looks really good like so it helps to legitimize um what was terribly illegitimate for decades yeah and interesting usually it's the men who get abused in these the men are the ones who seem to get trussed up and tortured and beat i saw just the level of ball kicking in this trailer yeah, alone you see adults but, only yeah joseph, uh, brenner. joseph brenner yeah important <laughs> important guy now, of course, you've got to have some Crown International stuck in here somewhere, and now you're going to get it with uh, Hustler Squad from 1975, Yay. which I think is one of the all-time great movie Yay. posters. 
all time great anythings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a super fun one. But yeah, I, 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 I think Crown, or, Crown is like a company that's really come into its own, especially yeah. like since the DVD era now that we've seen pristine copies because they kept all their stuff in like absolutely yeah. gorgeous shape. So, uh, but yeah, this is a really fun one. Uh, it's um, Well, Crown is cool because after a while you think that they had a roster of films that they would produce and create. These are almost 90% pickup deals. Mm -hmm. So they weren't, but they had a certain look about them. You would swear they were produced. Yeah, the way they process the prints, they all, they're all just like super saturated. They have this oh. really vivid color look, look <laughs> to them. No matter what the genre is either, you can always just sort of tell. Plus, they, you know, once they, they realized they were working with people they like, you know, buying stuff from people they like, they would just buy anything they like, you know, that's yeah. the same people. So you started to believe they were in-house productions, but they weren't. Really, really good. That's why I, I usually don't even, I don't even look for a genre. I just look for the Crown International logo, and then I'm in. I just go. Couldn't care less. Yeah. Wonderful. Never been let down. And technically, they're still operating. I think their office is still <laughs> over in Beverly Hills, I believe. I think it's still open. Uh, last time I checked, it drove by there, and their logo is still in the front of the building. So, um, Because, again, they have been successful marketing their, their, uh, their catalog uh, in recent decades. Even in, on Blu-ray, they keep getting reissued over and over again, but they're really good at selling packages of their movies. There is, I have to point out, some succulent dummy deaths in this movie. <laughs> <clears throat> they are really... And, yeah, again, also the attendant thematics and visual stuff and you know, it's, it's it's all that there's some great decapitations and it's fantastic <laughs> stuff and that's why i do have to spread the word about this <laughs> so uh. good <laughs> ah so good i mean i i have great memories of watching this thing like a hundred times But yeah, this one may have uh, gotten diminished the fact that it was easy to get this confused with some other films like The Doll Squad, for example. Right. There were all these kind of, and uh, you know, Savage Sisters and stuff like that. You know, sure. it, was, it was kind of a little hard to tell them apart at certain points because they, they all kept getting reissued over and over and over right. again. But I love you, Crown. <laughs> I love you, Crown. <laughs> I do. You're right. Yay. And now we're going to get a couple of films from New World Pictures. You saw them earlier, but back to them again. This is The Hot Box, which yep. is one of their many, many Filipino action films. This was yep. from 1972. So this was at the height of when Roger Corman was uh, in charge over there. And, um, uh, but yeah, this is a fun one. This actually uh, had some early writing involvement from Jonathan Demme, actually. And great direction from Joe Viola. Yep. Who was another guy who just, I don't know, kind of just stopped. I don't know what happened, but I, I'd welcome him back in a heartbeat. <laughs> <clears throat> But yeah, as you can see, this is uh, this is part of that cycle along with things like the big birdcage and the big dollhouse and women in cages and all that stuff. Um, you know, the, the, heat. Yeah, I mean, there were tons cage of these. Heat, I'm cage heat, yeah. There were just tons of these things. But uh, again, a lot of them were shot in the Philippines because, um, again, they had the locations. You could do these really just great, sweaty, nasty women in prison films, and they had a kind of a different, distinctive look, um, as you can see here. And you could get away with titles like The Hot Box. Right. <laughs> Stunning. And God, yeah, this is a really high energy trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they know what to do. This is, this is their trailer department is. I think the directors who made these movies owe the trailer people for any <laughs> any success. Yeah. Well, of course, the fact that Corman really nurtured his talent because, like Joe Dante, were cutting his trailers, so yeah. that that tells you something too. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, all, all, all the New World trailers from the 70s are pretty priceless. They're really beautifully edited pieces of work just by themselves. But I mean, man, if this thing doesn't get butts in the seats, what possibly could, you know? I don't think I've seen this trailer. This is new to me. Yeah, this thing just absolutely does not let up. Aww. He was a great actor. He was around for a little while. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. He disappeared. I think Charles Fleischer stole his roles. Mm-hmm. I think what's amazing is how long this trend lasted. I mean, because movies like this kept going until at least the early '80s. I mean, even with stuff like you know, Chain Teed and Concrete Jungle and all that. It's it's really remarkable. It just it never really stopped. You know, for a long, long time, at least for over a decade. You know, which for for a, an exploitation subgenre, that's a really long time. <laughs> but you, you, you look at these performances too, and you, you go, "Well, I mean, this you know, this is TNA, you know, but you know, there was a a little bit of integrity in here, wasn't there? That they, mm-hmm. they actually got the the these actors are good. Yeah. <laughs> They're not even." You can't even complain about them. They're really, they're really on the money. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's getting, you know, these things do get me psyched to watch these again. I some of these I haven't seen in decades. Now this is also a really fun one. This is some more new world. This is the Great Texas Dynamite yeah, Chase Michael from 1976. Preston. Yeah, yeah. Uh, starring the much loved Claudia Jennings. Of course, he yeah. died way too young. Yeah. Yeah, this movie, I, it was weird. There was. There was a lot of sex. This was, I think I only saw this one for the first time on HBO when we first got it in 78. So it was still like a new movie. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't know, it was like the first time I kind of like put two and two together and I realized like, oh yeah, these are these are actresses who are made to do these sex scenes. <laughs> like it wasn't even, but porn didn't even make me realize this, mm-hmm. you know? But this movie's like, like, oh wow, oh wow. Like, you know, oh, that, so yeah, uh, it got, so this, the manipulation quality, you know, qual- qualification of this sort of just hit me, uh, exploitation films, hit me with this movie. Uh, that's um, Johnny, uh, from Rifleman. Crawford from Naked Eight, yeah. yeah. Who had done the Naked Eight a little before this, yeah. That's right, with the Vittorial Principle. That was a Playboy film, I think. Yeah. And this one's also weird because for a New World Corman film, there's actually a pretty fair amount of full frontal nudity in yes. this one, uh, which Corman normally did not go for. Even Johnny Crawford well, not actually. Even full frontal nudity, sex. Yeah. Like bathtub. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah. And and also horribly tragic violence, like Bonnie and Clyde style tragedy. It's not. Like it wasn't fun. It wasn't like, oh yeah, bad guys getting shot. Like no, it was. It's the lines are the morality lines are blurred here. So you're you kind of don't want to see your main characters hurt, and they get hurt. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Good movie. Michael Pressman's an excellent director too. Mm-hmm. He went on to some really fantastic stuff, and uh, he's still around. Great, <laughs> great director. And it is a cl- this is a classic, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so is this one. Ah, this yes. is a great one. This is 
Bonnie's kids. <laughs> sick, sick. Arthur Marks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything, again, another one. Anything by Arthur Marks. Don't, don't differentiate. Don't compare. Don't care. Just get him. Just go for everything. He's amazing. Arthur Marks rocks. But the thing is, Arthur Marks is mostly known for his black exploitation movies, things like J.D.'s Revenge and Friday Foster and all that stuff. Right in Bucktown. But the thing is, before that, he got ticked off because he didn't think movies were being promoted correctly and the stuff that he started off in television. So he started his own, his own company. It was called General Film Corp or JFC right there and uh, so he started that in 1970 and so Arthur Marks basically started this company because he wanted to market his own films and pick up you know other right. things but but the real holy trinity for, for GSC is the movies that he made with Tiffany Bowling who yeah. is fantastic in this movie yeah. uh, the three movies are this one and the Centerfold Girls which is kind of an anthology film she's in the last chunk of it and uh, of course the Candy Snatchers yep. which is one of the all time great driving classics as We're well blood script yep um, this is not the last time we'll be mentioning Candy Snatchers, by the way. That one will play a role later Robin on. Robin Matson again, brilliant. She's great. I love Robin Matson. Yep. Very unusual, very angelic uh, uh, actress. So you, you were constantly shocked when you saw her completely nude. Yeah. And she's just really stunning in this movie. She's kind of manipulative and diabolical and hateful, and yet you're kind of rooting for her in a way. It's 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 really fascinating. But yeah, she and uh, Tiffany have some crazy chemistry in this movie yeah the movie has a great cast yeah and a really strange structure uh if you've seen this before it's almost like it has a really sleazy skeevy first act and then you have the second act that's this kind of long revenge plot mm. and then it kind of just stops it leaves you hanging at the end a little bit like yeah. there should actually be a third act so i wish they'd done a sequel it's really a shame mm. this wasn't a bigger hit because i'd love to see like the further adventures of them because it really kind of leaves you hanging at the end I mean, look, look at the level of cast you have. Yeah. I mean, Leo Gordon. I mean, uh, Alex Rocco. I mean, this isn't like, um, I mean, I, I can't, well, it was like a shitty movie that was just made for money, but it wasn't. It was, it was really a spiffy script. Scott Brady, uh, very slick and professional, actually, and, mm -hmm. and really twisty, dark yeah. and, and twisted. Um, and you're right, Bowling is great because she, she changes personality like all through the movie. I mean, she's, you know, like a snake. Yeah. You know. One thing I love about Tiffany, I've, I've talked about this other times, but I love the fact <laughs> that she, she was not like a screen queen or a victim type. No. I don't know. She's kind of hard, hard to peg down. It's why I don't think they really knew what to she's do with her Barbara back then. She's the Stanwick of that. Yeah. Of that I mean, she's always just so she's forceful. and gorgeous and in control and a force to reckon with. And she, yeah, I mean... You know, but she, she, I mean, to, to bring that out of a script, I think is really impressive. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> All right. That's a superlative movie to a good thriller. Yeah. Go watch it now. All Yay. right. Puppies. I spent most of my childhood <laughs> seeing these over and over and over again in the theaters. And yes, they released them many, many times together. <laughs> uh, my companions, Mojo and Osa, have been activated by the. We have guest, guest commentators in the room, folks. Yes, Mojo. The Daring Dobermans, Mojo. It's the Daring Dobermans. Yes, Mojo. <laughs> yes. Mojo remembers seeing this many times, right, Mojo? So now there's a whole cycle of these movies. There were three in the Doberman trilogy that were released by Dimension Pictures, uh, which were in the early 70s. This one was 73, Doberman Gang, which you're going to see in a minute, was 72. But these were just really 
and these were on TV like through the end of the decade, constantly. Like you could not get they away from these things. They were they were staples of Saturday matinee. That was what was so wonderful is that any one or combinations of them would pop up just for Saturday afternoon programming at your local theater. Uh, you know, I'm talking only from my experience. I don't know where else in the country, but I'm talking Long Island, New York, and like the, the mid to late seventies. This was you know, and actually I did see they had stuck. Let's bring it home. Uh, Viva Knievel I saw with uh, one of the Doberman movies. I can't remember which one. One of the, obviously the later ones. Mm-hmm. But um, no, these were these were everywhere, everywhere. But it's kind of kickstarted this really strange Doberman fever because you also had the TV movie, you know, uh, uh, Trash, and also you had like Boys from Brazil, and even like it, yeah. it was yeah, it was weird. It was like Doberman. Wasn't there one with James Garner or? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they the uh, only killer masters. masters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah, like the seventies. They just had this Derwin fever going around. It was just, yeah. It, yeah, it was really peculiar. Yeah. But yeah, again, it was it was kind of like the the evil can evil thing. Everyone else in school, Dobermans were just really hot shit. Like in the late seventies, <laughs> everyone was obsessed with them. It seemed like a lot of people had Dobermans as pets for a while. You don't really see them around anymore. <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Um, they're smart. They're really smart dogs. Yeah. I mean, I could see why they would feel, you know, that they would, they could, they could make a film with them. They're very highly trainable. Yeah. Yeah, I know you remember those, huh? <laughs> yeah, Mojo, Mojo loves these. Yes. Yeah, good boy. Good boy. He did not like Cujo, though. Aww. Yeah, come on up. <laughs> But yeah, so like a lot of the other Dimension catalog, this eventually wound up falling over in the library for Warner Brothers. So thankfully, they've gone back into circulation again because they were, again, these were ones that um, I think Vestron had put uh, some of them out on VHS back in the day, and then they disappeared for a while. As omnipresent as they were, like in the 70s and on TV, it actually got really hard to find these for a while. Um, Rated, rated G. G. <laughs> I love, uh, Despite all the child trauma in this. Yes, I love, I love that era. Okay. Ready for some more Dobermans, are we? I hope not. <laughs> wow, this is an amazing tableau we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. The real and the unreal. Don't get me started. I'm <laughs> loving this. Need some dummies? There's going to be a dummy death any second, <laughs> I know. Look at this. Trust me. When you watch this movie, you can, you can write in and let us know when you see the dummy death so I can, uh, I can go back. <laughs> Yeah, which one is this? I can't even remember. I, I don't, the I Doberman don't, Gang. This is the Doberman Gang, yeah. right. So yeah, like I said, this, one was, this was actually 1972. Um, but these continued on. I think Amazing Dobermans was the last real official one. That was in 76. So these things just would not die. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but this was like the Billy Jack of the Planet of the Apes franchise. Right, it, yeah. It, just, it keeps just, going and going and yeah, going and going. And they would guarantee, you know, that you wouldn't lose money on them. Yeah. They didn't have a TV series, did they? Even no, they should have. Yeah, silly, right? That was that was a fuck up. Yeah. But look, I mean, just the the strange attention to style. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have had the biggest budget, and of course, don't go by the look of the trailer because, again, this is <laughs> not color corrected. For you know, this is, the contrast is blown out, or this age has worked its way on this thing. The, the movies really look good. Uh, they they do look. There's more attention paid to them than, than just this. Um, but you can tell, like, even the direction, there's something very stylish about this. Yeah. I, I always appreciate that. 
And they were cheap to make, too. Yeah. I think that was another reason they kept doing it. You know, it really cost nothing. Once the dogs are trained, you can use them as much as you want, as many right. movies, you know. I guess maybe Benji's, the success of Benji might be right. the reason why they kind of tapered off, because Benji really oh. stole the fans on the market. Yes, well, well, go, go get them. Go get, get the Dorman gang. Go get them. <laughs> Howard and I are actually pulling off our own bank heist right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true, Mojo? Is that true? <laughs> I, I don't know where you got that bit of information from, but I'll go with that. I, I'm trusting your expertise. Yeah. He's a big fan, as you can hear. <laughs> okay, enough comments from the peanut gallery there. <laughs> All right. Well, that was PG. Yep. I don't know. You have to wait till you're a little older to see that one again. I wasn't aware. Now it's time it? for a little bit of uh, Al Adamson. This is the Murder Gang from 1976, oh, a.k.a. God Black Heat. Him. I know Howard Al Adamson is very close to your heart, I believe. Oh, I love Al Adamson, yeah. I got go on talking about him for decades. He's, uh, but this is, this is actually a really nifty movie. I don't know how many titles it exists under, but it, uh, it's a really cool, really cool film. And Tamlin's, <laughs> believe it or not, really good in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, Reunited from Satan Sadist. That's right. Yeah. And, of course, Dracula versus Frankenstein, yeah. my the magnum opus. Uh, but this is a cool film. Um, a very, very cool movie. Uh, that's, I believe, Regina Carroll. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, it was Al Adamson's wife. Um, nifty film. I mean, it was a, a good little, uh, you know, trashy thriller, sleazy, sleazy thing. That's like, you know, working every inch of a potential R rating. Yep. Uh, One of the harder films to see out of the out of the Adamson catalog for some reason. Yeah, I think that's all changing. Yeah. I hope. I hope so. I hope that's changing. Uh, they're yeah. coming out a mile a minute now. Yeah. Again, by the time you hear this, that might be completely irrelevant. I know there's like some more Adamson stuff in the works, but man, hopefully this will be among it. Look at this. I mean, it's, it's just really clever. I mean... Nice spelling of ammunition there. Yeah. <laughs> the murder gang. And I never remembered play, that playing anywhere. I don't, that I don't know. That I don't remember. No uh, nostalgia attached to that. Now, this is a really odd one. This was an attempt to cash in on the big New York blackout of 1977. This, of course, is blackout from 1978, which is actually Canadian. Yeah. But they're doing their damnedest to pass this off as Manhattan. And it kind of sort of works, I guess. Well, it has that otherworldly feel to it. It's like when they, things take place in like Louisiana, but they film it in Sweden yeah. like in the mid-60s <laughs> or something. I like that kind of odd dislocation from the familiar. Right. But I'll buy that. This has a wonderfully juicy performance. It's not quite a cameo. It's barely more than that, but a performance by Ray Meland. Uh, that's yeah. really, really fun in this. This is a creepy movie, too. It's, it's cruel. Yeah. Um, yeah, really like violent. That. Yeah. Really violent. And uh, Carradine. Belinda Montgomery, Robert Carradine's yeah. really creepy in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at your cast. This is, you can only get this with French-Canadian tax shelter. Mm -hmm. This is great. Jean-Pierre Armand. I mean, give me a break. It's so good. But uh, this was another one, I think, that when, when um, I first got HBO in like the late 70s, like 77, 78, uh, this was one of the ones that would be on, uh, you know, sort of the, it, it, after 10 o'clock at night. Because yeah. I don't think HBO went past midnight. You know, the movies, yeah. the last movie went on like around maybe 10 and then later maybe 11.30, you know, and this would be one of those movies. But cut down. Now it's uncut, but the, the original U.S. prints were trimmed pretty heavily, so check out I the Blu-ray now. Wow. Yeah. All right, now here we have one of the greatest films of the 70s and definitely one of the greatest Canadian films, I think, of all time. This oh. is The Silent Partner. 
And you can actually hear me and Howard and Steve Mitchell yap about this on the Blu-ray commentary, so uh, you can hear more about that There's elsewhere. A lot of the, we do a lot of audio commentaries of films that were shown here tonight. Yeah. Trouble Man. Yeah. Where's Framed? <laughs> yeah, right? This is a, yeah, I mean, do we even have to talk about this one? This one's just... This is an awesome movie. It is absolutely perfect. Every single frame of it. Watch it now. And... <laughs> I feel more so probably than Nathaniel that there's an excellent uh, Swedish film that it's it's based on the same novel. Yeah, think of a number. But I think that the film itself is is very, very close to this, but yet thematically different enough. It's strange. Well, it goes it's so very, similar. Yeah, the ending but is different. They have different though. purposes, different intentions yeah. by the filmmakers. So I actually really recommend that to seek out that first one. It's very hard because there's no official subtitle version of that <clears> one around, but you can find it. Um, I actually really say it. Um, it doesn't. It neither hurts the other. Uh, they're complementary and they're different enough, especially in their third acts, where I say, you know, they're two totally different types of, of thriller, you know, and I, and I, I say go with them. Um, it would, the original, was in the English translation was Think of a Number, mm -hmm. and I, I really recommend that. I, yeah. I, and, but this movie, it has the benefit of Curtis Hansen's sort of wicked perversity, um, and I think it, that's a the actors are, are perfectly chosen for it. And there's some really traumatic sequences in this And movie. yeah, this one has Christopher Plummer, so I think this one still comes out on top because you yeah. cannot top him in this movie. Yeah, yeah I, agree, I that I agree for sure. Again, different purposes. But yeah, but man, brilliant, you, will never, you will never forget Christopher Plummer after you watch this yeah. movie. It's impossible. Yeah. And going back a few years, this is from 1976, this is High Velocity, which again is another one of those kind of military post-Vietnam exploitation movies, I guess. Uh, but this is one that also kind of has fallen through the cracks a bit, but it was, also, you know, this ran on, I remember this ran on drive-ins for a while, and I think. HBO. Yeah, and HBO, a yeah. It's used to long time. It's a show about like 11 p.m. at night on HBO who quite who a bit. This? this wasn't Stuart Raffle, was it? I can't yeah. remember who did this, High Risk. Uh, sounds, I mean. Yeah, High Velocity. Yeah. High Velocity, I'm trying to remember. I think I knew the director at one point. Yeah, I remember liking this a lot. This actually got very good reviews, if I'm not mistaken, it, even on like some, like sneak previews, I think, or some, yeah. something like that. Like it, it, it did not get a. It, it was treated with a little a little bit more um, appreciation when yeah. it was out. No, this was a uh, Remy Kramer. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. This was this is this was well done. I mean. Um, yeah, this is the only movie actually. But I haven't seen it. You know, what, 1979, 78, 79, I guess. But yeah, and what a weird cast too. <laughs> I mean, really yeah. violent. Super yeah, like Keenan Wynn and like Britt Eklund and Ben Gazzara all stuck together in the same movie. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. But yeah, as you can see, Paul Winfield's looking a little more filled out than he was earlier yeah. on this, in this collection. Well, he hit peak pig in uh, the Terminator. Yeah. He was going to pop it. He's really fucking hilarious in, uh, um, oh, oh, God, that Walter Hill produced thing. Um, yeah, I can't remember it. With Jim now, course, now back to uh, back to good old Bronson and uh, our old buddy uh, Jim Michael. This, of course, is the, me the mechanic from 1972, which again is also one of the essential Charles Bronson films. This is pre-Death Wish, of course. This was to me. This was my. This is my favorite Bronson, and I was so happy I got to sit with the uh, the cinematographer Richard Klein, um, uh, who I, I very happily developed a, a great friendship with um, the, for quite a few years and we sat for a week 
and watched this film. Uh, we kept stopping it bit by bit as he went through. He, he loved working with Michael Winner. Um, and of course he shared chores with uh, Robert Painter, who did a lot of Jane, uh, John Landis movies. He was also Winner's other uh, primary cinematographer. So that he would bounce back and forth between Richard Klein and, and uh, Robert Painter. And, and this is just, a, it also has dummy deaths and it, the whole schmear, all the thematics and visuals. It's, it's a complicated little movie, mm -hmm. uh, not just a nifty thriller. It, it really, uh, it really, it was a, a, a existential, you know, thriller masterpiece. Um, and it's and it's amusing. It's a it's just a, a really smart movie. Um, but on this on this particular movie, Klein was saying that you know the winner was a taskmaster and he fired people every day. <laughs> Every day, if he wasn't pleased with their performance, because he he liked to move. You know, he really setup after setup after setup. But it's a great twisty script by uh, Louis John Carlino, who wrote Seconds mm -hmm. for Frankenheimer, and also did his own good stuff. I mean, he did uh, uh, Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea. He right. directed that as well, which is excellent, uh, based on a Yuki Mishima uh, book. So there's a, a lot of pedigree here, uh, a lot of unusual talent, not formula. Uh, players and also this was developed uh, and I think it was supposed to have been directed by Monty Hellman uh, the whole opening the silent opening was I think that, that was a lot of there's a dummy death right there mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of great work um, by Monty Hellman in the planning of that but I don't know the story completely as to why he didn't complete the task but it's one of Michael Winter's best so it all worked out in the end there you go touche <laughs> so he was a good director damn it yeah, PG. That's a shocker yeah, too. Again, I, I always thought that was R. All right, so here we have more bronze. This is uh, the title of it. This is the family, and this is actually the post Godfather edition of the English version of a film that is probably better known now as Violent City from 1970, the Sergio Salima film. Amazing. Yeah, which is wonderful. Uh, it is not. This trailer is kind of misleading. It makes it look way more sort of Godfather-y than it actually is. You just notice the font. They're really trying hard to make it look like that. But this is just a really crackerjack Italian crime film. Really fun. Ab wonderful Ennio Morricone score. Yeah. Just absolutely pounding stuff. Great, 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 great. Uh, love this movie. There's actually a really beautiful European Blu-ray of this one if you haven't seen it. And, of course, Jill Ireland, of course, had to be in this at the time. That was pretty much <laughs> obligatory for a Bronson film. I mean, she was in, like, 15, yeah. right? Yeah, he was, like, carting her all over Europe at the time uh, before he went back to America and became a star... I think the only times he dissuaded her from being cast was when there was no roles of uh, when there was a if if the if, if there was a character that that was fairly substantial uh, but wasn't getting ravished by any other cast member any other <laughs> no serious it was really a stipulation yeah. uh, it was actually contractual he wouldn't have her cast if it was another character in the movie engaged with her he had to uh, be the only person who was involved with her physically. Yeah. And of course, here we have Telly Savalas, who is best known as Kojak for all of his American films and things like that, but he also had a pretty notable European film career as well. He would kind of pop in and out um, in some unexpected places after this. Of course, for example, a couple of years later, he would do Horror Express. Lisa and the Devil. Yeah, Lisa and the Devil, of course, Maria Bava. So, yeah, he actually had a broader range of films than most people tend and to again, realize. And never, never anonymous, never, you know, always, oh, look, his, his brother is there. Uh, never condescended to the material. He's delightful in all these things. He really looked forward, I think, to just sort of giving more of a character than maybe he was allowed in other movies. In, right. You know, the States, it's something a little more, you know, less generic. He would uh, he'd add a lot of perversity to his characters. It was great. 
very over the top in a good way. Yeah. Um, and again, this is a yeah, C nineteen seventy two, uh, Cashing on the Godfather here. But this is also a scope film as well. So if you see a really good print, it's actually gorgeously shot. It's kind of hard to tell from the way they crop it down for that trailer. And more Italian crime. Yes. This is the Italian Connection from 1972, directed by Fernando De Leo, one of the all-time great Polizio Tesco and general crime directors of the era. There isn't a single like loser in the entire bunch. It has his name on it. It's a crime film. Jump on it. Uh, it's probably better known now as Manhunt. That's the title that most, uh, most of the releases now have, I believe. And this film was copied endlessly afterwards. Yeah. I mean, the plot line was stolen. And it honestly never had the same wit or uh, or invention is this one. This is, a, uh, again, you know, you could say the same thing about the director, but honestly, if you ever see anything with Mario Adolf, Adolf yeah. run to it. <laughs> do not run away from it. Yeah. He is masterful in this film. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a amazing location uh, chase stuff uh, like you're looking at here. Um, but his character amps up and keeps amping up, and I don't know how he does it. It's a, a really remarkable character. He becomes... A, a total beast, uh, you know, and you, you're watching that incremental transformation. Uh, so it's not just a silly little thing, not just a kitschy little thing. No. Silva and Strode as hitmen, oh, yeah. they're great. <laughs> Strode is really like, kind of iconic in this. Um, Silva is just sort of just a lot of fun. But uh, he would later move in, not too much later, but move up the ranks as a lead in um, uh, DeLeo's films. Yeah. So, um, including Il Boss, which is another masterpiece. They're really hard to, to say. It's like a mood ring. You know, wh what's going to be your favorite DeLeo of the day? I mean, you're really just going to have to sit through them all. And at some point, they're gonna, there'll be a day for one, there'll be a day for another. It just is the perfect one. So, oh, yeah. dive right in. And now here we have, I think, one of the most shocking studio films of the 1970s. It's hard to believe that this thing actually got made and released to general audiences, especially with the caliber of talent involved. But this is Prime Cut. Yeah. Yep. Which had a little bit of peck and paw flavoring yeah. in it. I think Richie was very inspired, um, especially during the title sequence with the ironic use of the director credit. I think he was very much, you know, sort of in the, he, he liked the, the wild bunch. And then, and then, of course, you know, peck and paw later did it again, not too much later, in The Getaway. Very mm -hmm. similar styling, but there's a, a strong wit to this. It's a Robert Dillon script who also would write uh, Frankenheimer's uh, French Connection too. Right. Um, really wonderful uh, sense of fantasy in this movie. Uh, it's, it's really like a knight in shining armor fantasy, um, but really perverse and ultra stylized. And if anything, even the classics from Michael Ritchie afterwards, you kind of feel like, oh, he could have done a little more. <laughs> it's like he really went so far with the imagination in this. A wonderful Gene Polito, uh, Polito uh, cinematography, uh, great score. Um, just a really unique movie. Yeah. The trailer really doesn't quite convey just how absolutely twisted this movie is, though. There's some yeah. there's some concepts and some images in this movie that are yeah. will just floor you. And it's hilarious. Yeah. From yeah, beginning I mean, it, to end. It's yeah. funny as shit. Yeah, it is a it's a really sick black comedy. Oh. Um, you've never seen Gene Hackman like this in any other movie. I mm -hmm. it, I really don't want to spoil it, but yeah, what when you first see Sissy Spacek, like, for example, and some of the stuff you see her in, it's pretty far cry from where you think a future Oscar winner would go. Yeah. But it is, you're right, a very sophisticated performance from Ackman. You obviously loved every second of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, so good. Classic movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And now I think this is a film coming up of special personal significance for you. Oh my God! Yeah, Emperor of the North. Another, another. <laughs> in fact, we did a, we did a, I did a, a reminiscence and a deconstruction of the Dummy Death in this for DestructibleMan.com. So you can go to the web and just find this one. Uh, another very complicated movie that was absolutely despised when it came out. I mean, even Crime uh, Prime Cut was dis despised. Uh, th this was uh, absolutely hated for years and years. It was called Lesser Aldrich, director Robert Aldrich, who uh, is was the king of the men movies and like you know yeah maybe but you know okay that's just like superficial but he because uh, his films really weren't only about masculinity this one was and uh, this is a wonderful script by Christopher Knopf who wrote um, <coughs> the choir boys for him but that was a, a terribly compromised film um, and he did a wonderful um, science fiction horror film for TV uh, called um, uh, the, uh, the no, with Robert Culp. Um, oh, please, gosh, I keep forgetting uh, the the horror science fiction film. I'll find out. Um, but um, the, he, the 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 two guys here. This is something which was violence in a PG-rated movie that was so completely unexpected and amped and pitched. It's a two hour plus battle with chains and axes between Borgnine, the train bull, and uh, Marvin, which is the hobo. And no hobo is gonna ride uh, Borgnine's train. Borgnine plays Shaq. Uh, and I used to know, I used to grow up with a, a, a when you know, this film came out, I knew a lot of people who had bulldogs in my neighborhood and they were all named Shaq. <laughs> so uh, it, 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 did, it did permeate, uh, you know, um, it, it, it definitely permeated. Um, classic motion picture. The, tr this, the scene, the, the final fight, the 20-minute fight on the top of the train between Marvin and Borgnine took about over a month to shoot. And it was on. T and it was them on top of the the train, like they, no, you know, no stunt. I mean, you can you can <laughs> see doubles easily. There's no doubles, um, so it was a, a really uh, unique shoot. Joe Byrock at the top of his game, um, just a, an amazing, amazing film. Um, did you see this as a kid? Because this was traumatic to a lot of people. Yeah, I saw this on TV when I was a kid. Though. I wish I could have on seen TV, it in the theater. So it was yeah. Hot. Okay. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I still I was, have I was, that edited for TV. Uh, I still have that. One. I was yeah. Unfortunately, I was, I was born way too late to experience this uh, first run, but uh, which is a shame. But, yeah, I missed out on a lot of goodies. Yeah, and the music, this is just fantastic. A man in his train, they have a great song in the beginning. <laughs> a man in his train, the phallic connotations. I mean, the, you know, there are dummy deaths, ahoy. I mean, it's a, it's a, a brutal, brutal movie, uh, very unique. And it, Aldrich, you know, not to give a spoiler, but Aldrich had great compassion for um, Borgnine's character. He treated both of them with great respect. And mm -hmm. I, I, I always thought that was a, uh, a wonderful, you know, I, I always thought that was a great, uh, uh, a great ode to the, the, the characters. He didn't just treat them like good guy, bad guy. Ah, yes, it was uh, Cold Night's Death. That's oh, yeah, the one that oh, yeah, the Christopher, thing, Christopher yeah. Knopf wrote. Yes, yeah. very important. So if you like Knopf, you know, he's a, he's a good link. And last but not least here, we're back to uh, Walter Hill territory again <laughs> with a uh, real gem here. This is uh, Hard Times. Yeah which is going to be the last film on our, on our action-packed stretch here. And this one's also notable you know, if you're in the exploitation uh, fan community. This is also 
Uh, probably the biggest tome that was written by Brian Yendoff, who of course had written Candy Snatchers earlier, and but he had a very, very teeny tiny writing career. But this was really his big calling card, and I think had the film been a bigger hit, might have led on to bigger and better things, but alas, no. Uh, of course, got some more Joe Ireland here. Uh, this, is, this is Phil Plethrop, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he mm -hmm. also did The Driver for, yeah. for, for Hill. Yeah, see, it's, for me, it's almost a shame because uh, I think Hill had, had a great, Lathrop, Philip Lathrop gave a great scope, uh, a, a, you know, an old-fashioned scope, feel like, you know, the Cincinnati kid type of look. He really, he really had a, a great, almost anachronistic by this time, uh, look for, for Hill, and Hill was absolutely, you can see, reliant and indebted for that. He, he knew that that was a wonderful thing. So it's kind of, it was always kind of a shame that you know they didn't have a longer association together. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, just the look of it, I think, is really unique. Yeah. But the characterizations, everything, very, really incredible in this movie. And Bronson, who's fifty-ish mm -hmm. now, uh, look at him. I yeah. mean, he doesn't even need dialogue, and Coburn is just perfect as ever. Um, very fortunate. A lot, a lot of these movies, um, very fortunate that they had the people they had making them. Good times. Well, thanks, everybody. This has been great. This has been Trailer Trauma, signing off. I'm traumatized. Thank you.